Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show where we wade our way through the latest in theater streaming and on demand. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, don't tell him about hot dogs, it's Arturo Zurita. Zach, we've got... Still more festival coverage. It feels like it never ends. Um, And then once we're done with this festival coverage for the fall, the winter one begins, and it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. But one that, hey, it's a blessing to be a part of. And uh, we have another slate of a bunch, a bunch of movies, documentaries, some horror, some comedies, a lot of dramas, a lot of international submissions for the Oscars. So one of the things that we're really proud of here on Intercut every year is looking back and seeing how much of the... uh, uh, you know, not necessarily the award contenders, but just movies that still get talked about on a lot of year-end lists from a lot of people, from the big old fancy critics to your mm-hmm. regular average Joe YouTubers and Letterbox users, uh, of those movies that kind of get lost in the radar. And, you know, uh, we also love our international viewers, so that just the, the fact that we are able to go to these festivals where mm-hmm. a lot of these movies aren't going to be played in theaters. <laughs> uh, because of the internet, luckily we'll get a lot of them virtually, but a lot of these movies, there's just no way they're going to fit in a theater yeah. when you have, I don't know how many showings for a Star Wars movie, a Marvel movie. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be all Avatar this December, but uh, there are more than just the big, what, five mainstream movies that come out a right. month. So when people tell you that movies aren't as good as they used to be, I can guarantee you their list of 25 overall movies that they saw for that year is maybe indicative of that truth. But we're here to tell you that there's a lot more out there. So uh, Chicago had a lot of good ones, some that I'm... I may have missed, but Zach caught at another point. Some that are completely new to both of us, and some that I've been waiting to catch up because Zach's been hyping them up from Toronto, from New York, from other places. So a lot of good stuff to talk about. Yeah, I remember at a point in my film watching life where I would look at the Oscars shortlist, particularly stuff for like the foreign films, and I would just like look at the titles and not know any of them. And one of the things that I love that we're able to do here on Intercut is we get to a lot of those movies before they make it to those short lists. Uh, And I think today is a great example of when we do that kind of coverage, because a lot of the films that we're going to talk about today, particularly when we get to the foreign films you saw at Chicago, are ones that have already been selected as their country's submission to the Oscars. And beyond that, when we get to maybe some of the more even further under the radar stuff, it's stuff that probably uh might not come out in the next couple of months but there are a couple that will and then there's some that will end up being like the sleeper hits of 2023 so it's a great chance to like update your letterbox watch list maybe like uh you know do some googling on these directors and actors and watch their previous work to get familiar before the film comes out uh we're gonna talk about a lot of interesting stuff here today so uh, i'm excited to get get into your coverage you could tell them, tell everybody, I knew about this movie before everybody didn't like it because it wasn't nominated. I think that's a big part of it, right? You get to the end of the year and you don't recognize those movies. So you feel like betrayed. I feel a lot of moviegoers, your average moviegoer feels betrayed when they see these end of the year lists because they feel those movies weren't marketed to them. And now they're being praised and they feel like they didn't have a part of the process. I think that's my viewpoint for why a lot of people don't seek these movies out. Uh, they're not usually accessible because like we said, if you miss a festival, oh, they're probably gone. But uh, we're, we're hoping to get a lot of these on your radar because now it's a completely different world when it comes to VOD. And uh, hopefully a lot of these will be available sooner rather than later. But uh, looking at some of the list as we pull it up over here, Chicago, it, they have a, 
a good amount. We have a, a letterbox list for you to count down and, and kind of uh, keep up with how many you have seen. As you can see out of the entire list, I don't know how many I've logged in fully, but I have a total of 62% that I was able to see out of this festival. Hmm. Um, I, I, rookie numbers. is not a bad number, dude. Nah, it's disappointing, bro. It's disappointing. I was looking at Alita. I was looking at Alita for our New York numbers, and I was like, "Nah, we got to bump those numbers up." Uh, but that's because we're sadistic. We love watching as as much of them as we can. But uh, besides that, there is different categories that they like to cut up their movies in. Uh, obviously, towards the end of the festival, you have the best of fest and the movies that won their different awards. The way that I want to break them down is between the horror comedies, the shorts the documentaries, and then the dramas. So Let's looking at the list of everything that we have here, I want to go from the least to the great greatest. Uh, there were some movies that I did not get to see a part of this horror comedy selection. Uh, Shin Ultraman, I don't know if you've ever been a fan of this. I guess it's a TV series because they're playing a couple of episodes alongside the movie to this. I know I had it played at Fantasia, uh, maybe Fantastic Fest. They gave out comics to everybody. I know nothing of Shin Ultraman, so I did not have yeah, this one same. on my radar. But for those of you who are big fans of Shin Ultraman, a lot of people were excited and pulled up to the screening because uh, they were really excited to see it uh, on the big screen. So if you're a fan of Shin Ultraman, you didn't know that your, I don't know, favorite uh, hero has something else. There you go. And they have new comics out there, too. So make sure you get that merch with it. Uh, another one that had come out, a duo of other festival picks that we had seen. One would be Lenore Will Never Die, a movie that came out back at Sundance and has been doing the festival runs like crazy tiff. Uh, I think it may have played New York, Chicago. I love seeing that it played at every single festival because this is one of our favorites from earlier in the year. Yeah. Alongside one of the ones from later in the year, which is White Noise. Uh, Zach had the chance to catch this one twice over at New York. We had the chance to get a, a really great press conference with it. Um, but these are ones to definitely have on your radar in terms of the comedies. Um, Zach did see one that was probably the centerpiece or was the centerpiece gala. One of the biggest ones that I think sold out in minutes, mm -hmm. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I wasn't going to be there for the day, but Zach went all the way to Toronto to see this. I think the whole crew got to see it in our TIFF coverage, but yeah. Zach let the people know how excited they should be for the sequel. Yeah, I mean, it not only uh, did it do all that, I think it won like the audience award at Chicago too. So it, it's mm. definitely one that's going over well with like the average moviegoer. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really satisfying film. You know, the way that the first one was, it does really feel like it's got a lot of the vibes of the first Knives Out in the way that it just unfolds the mystery and keeps, uh, keeps you second guessing things and finds ways to... Uh, twist almost every element of the film it's just a uh, it's impressive seeing all the stuff that ryan johnson has packed in just so he can later flip your perspective on it um maybe even like too much stuff that he's packed in just to flip your perspective on it by the end of the film but it's got a great cast and they're all giving really excellent performances i really like seeing edward norton in this mode uh, i really like seeing dave bautista in this mode too uh but it, really the one who steals it is daniel craig as benoit blanc his, his benoit is just such a a fun creation and i don't know it's 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 fun it moves there's good lines it's just a great time uh we i don't know if we talked about it on intercut yet that netflix actually did come to an agreement with regal and amc and cinemark it's, and it's crazy 600 plus theaters for thanksgiving week so you know it, it's a rare opportunity to catch a netflix film at your local multiplex budget potentially yeah 
That's a big deal. We talk about that every year when they do the Oscar uh, campaigning and they do the best of showcase and they just conveniently leave out the Netflix movies. It's <laughs> never made any sense. Yeah, great for them. I shouldn't even be thinking them. It's like thinking a kid for doing their bed. It's like, yeah, you should yeah. probably be playing a big movie at your local theater. So uh, I know that we also have our press screenings that are going to be the week prior to that already booked. So it's on the horizon. Um, now that you've sat with it, though, is it better than the first? I think the first time around you said not for you, not fully, but that didn't yeah. mean that it was bad. It just meant you held the first one to such esteem. Now right. that you've sat with it a little bit more. I think I'm still in the same place. Like this one is really satisfying, but I think my main difference between them is this one feels a little bit more random. Maybe it's just that the first one does revolve around a family and inheritance and stuff like that. Uh, but I think I, first one felt more like it was doing one thing, whereas this one feels like it's doing several things. And I okay. don't mean that to say that it's not successful or not satisfying, just maybe a little bit less satisfying than Knives Out 1. Interesting. All right. Uh, you had mentioned who your favorites were at Chicago. I know at the Music Box, they also dedicated it to Catherine Hahn. They did like a whole honoree thing for her. And it was funny because it was like a, it was a couple who was behind us when we were at the Music Box. They opened up the festival with this kind of like a block party. And uh, we were waiting to go get like a hot dog. And the couple behind us was like, the dude was, was spitting about how he got tickets to go see the movie. And he's like, yeah, I'm such a huge Catherine Hahn fan. I don't know about you, Zach, but, you know, there's so many Catherine Hahn fans out there. He's like, you've, you've never seen her? Oh, she's in so many great things. Like, have you seen WandaVision? <laughs> I turned around, I was, about to, I was about to ask the man, name four other movies <laughs> right now. <laughs> but there was a lot of Catherine Hahn WandaVision fans out there, uh, and they honored her uh -huh. along with a couple of other people that we'll be mentioning later on. But uh, Glass Onion, clearly, easily, by far, the biggest movie of several festivals. I would say every festival that has played it, I think it's been probably one of the ones that people uh, gravitate towards the most but, yeah back uh, at tiff i think it came in second place for the audience award so yeah it's it's gonna sweep awards like that probably yeah it, it tied with one one that i have a little bit higher on my list so i'll get into that mm. one but beginning with everything that i saw that had to do with being a comedy or horror one of the first ones was a chicago based you know the whole crew the location all of it a horror called all jacked up and full of worms zach we had talked about this new streaming service screenbox yeah this is another screenbox movie the entire okay. time that we were there for the after dark series at chicago uh the music box was being uh, like hosted funded sponsored by shutter so all of their movies were like, not just Shutter Originals, but like Shutter was doing trivia and giving out stuff. Then this movie gets there. They're like, nah, screw Shutter, Screenbox. This is a balls to the wall types of type of movie where they were really hyping up the screening for it. They had a worm cocktails, uh, all these like decals on the floor to like really get everybody going for what was supposed to be the finale of uh, the music box screenings. And it follows a dude who realizes that he could take this drug that just so happens to be a worm. And he hallucinates to a degree where he finds happiness or whatever hallucinogenic nightmare he can come up with. Uh, it's also a movie that likes to push the boundaries. It is very grotesque towards the second half. And I'm very confused on what the budget is because a lady had asked and he had said 50. And I don't think it's 50,000. So uh, 50 sounds like a lot. But uh, again, it's a movie that's able to use all of its practical effects to, I think, a pretty entertaining fashion towards the end of it. But... There is a storyline, and you see it in the trailer, of a man who has adopted a baby. But it's not really to child, to parent the baby, and it's also not a real baby. And uh, that baby was at the screening. 
I don't think anybody got to touch it, but it was hidden in a uh, like suitcase or something in the back. All of that is to say that this is a movie that definitely had a couple of walkouts. We were sitting close, but we could feel the theater getting empty when lines were crossed in this movie. Uh, if you are an aficionado of horror films that try to push the envelope, I recommend putting this on your radar. If you are not, you're good. Uh, this doesn't. <laughs> this is like a sibling to Mother Schmuckers. Uh, I like okay. Mother Schmuckers more. Well, Mother Schmuckers is also like kind of ridiculous and absurd and comedic. It, does this lean towards the comedy that much, or is it more firmly planted in the in the world of horror? Because from nah. from some of the descriptors you're using, this is like the same language you're using to describe Ter Terrifier Two to me yesterday. Yeah, I'd say it's closer to Terrifier Two because it's it's just trying to be absurd. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that there's an endearing element to Mother Schmuckers, but they're like just dumb. Yeah, here no, they're, they're like, like lovable goofs. Yeah, they're way. lovable goofs. Here, here they're like losers. <laughs> I yeah. want to say, uh, and because of that, I don't know how how close you're gonna be connected with most of them. But again, if you want just a balls to the wall crazy type of movie, Shutterbox or whatever they said it was gonna call Screenbox should be out pretty soon. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I like the idea of Shutter having some competition, uh, but it may not. So with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Terrifier 2, also another one that's going to be on Screenbox, because it's also Screenbox original. Very cool. Uh, moving on to one of the other ones that had played here. You actually got to catch this at Tribeca, A Wounded Fawn. Yeah, um, I'm I would very say, curious to hear how yeah. you responded to it. Um, I had also seen it in Tribeca. It was one of the last ones that you had told me about. Yeah. So when it was playing over here, we were able to get a virtual to it. Uh, I I just like had it playing a second time. So I just wanted to give it another mention to where I would have it here on the list because I, I realized that we've had a lot of movies like this this year. Everybody flocking on HBO right now to Barbarian. Mm -hmm. May I present to you a wounded fawn. Those of you who hated men. Maybe a wounded fawn. Those of you who like fresh, those of you like it has become a genre this year, and this has been the the big, I don't want to say big, but the the indie festival darling that has been appearing in a, at a couple of festivals throughout the year. And uh, I think Zach had some really good uh, words to say about it earlier at Tribeca, um, and I think it takes a, a little bit of a different twist on this type of uh, setup where a couple's meeting out of the woods. So a wounded yeah. fawn, like you definitely feel like it, at least for its first half it feels kind of like a horror film you might have seen before, but it takes this turn and almost like maybe barbarian is a good comparison in it in that it just takes these twists that you don't expect. And by the end of the movie, I kind of felt like it was almost like trying to melt my brain. It, it, it's scary yeah. in a way that is different from what I've seen before in, in terms of, uh, the types of horror that's out there in that it doesn't things happen that don't make sense in a way that scares you, which is yes. a uniquely weird thing. I don't know. I, I responded to it. I think it's pretty awesomely made. Uh, and it's definitely one that has that director on my radar now for sure. Mm -hmm. So a wounded fawn. I'm not exactly sure what the release date, if that's a shutter box, a screen box, which one it is, but hopefully it gets a VOD release later. Uh, I have a duo of really strange, weird international comedies. Okay. They're so dry. They might as well be like, uh, they're not necessarily satires. I'm going to start with the one that was just way too weird for me. It is titled a, uh, The Woodcutter Story. 
the poster is egregious. I don't think it does it justice. I think it's like one of those temporary ones before they get the real poster. Uh, at least I hope so. And you're pretty much following this woodcutter whose uh, company kind of gets shut down in northern Finland. And they're kind of left like wondering what's going to happen next. He's very optimistic. So he's, you know, always chipper about what's going to be around the corner. But for the most part, the entire town is like, nah, like we can't cut wood anymore everyone's lost their jobs his friend is like super depressed because he feels that his wife may be having an affair behind his back it's just like all of these elements that are happening but he's kind of disassociated from all of it he never really has strong emotions uh it's a very dry movie that did not work for me in any way shape or form but uh if you are interested in a kind of character study of a guy who's going to give you absolutely nothing back, then I guess this is for you. I don't want to spoil what happens in the second half, but I was relaying it to Alina and I'm like, it makes absolutely no sense to me, but maybe I just don't understand that finished comedy because uh, the person who was supposed to help them, I don't know, maybe there's a metaphor there to how the politics work over in Finland, but I had no idea what was happening. So there could be just a, a disassociation between me and the culture there, but uh, the woodcutter story if you want a dry little comedy that I guess is more of a satire, depending on wh- wh- what's happened over there, then check out this story of Pepe and his life. Uh, the one that I connected to just just a little bit more, um, but still has that same type of dry comedy, is this little movie called Somewhere Over the Chemtrails, where everybody in this village truly believes that the chemtrails are causing them to, you know... The, the conspiracy that they cause you to have different emotions and it causes the town to be angry or happy. Like they're just all being controlled. But one of them says that if you put vinegar on you, then everything will be okay. The, the, the trails will not get to you. So you have several people who soak themselves in vinegar. They'll spray themselves in vinegar. Um, but because of that, uh, everyone's on edge when an accident happens and they all want to blame it on a terrorist. And this, as we talked about with New York, becomes yet again one of those other movies like RMN, where you have a town who's trying to create a boogeyman. Are there bears? Are there no bears? So that's going to be a reoccurring theme that you see through all of these categories, from the docs, the dramas, to the comedies. Um, And again, this is probably the most lighthearted version of that, because uh, as everyone tries to like figure out who it is, who it ends up being, kind of like sets everyone for a loop. and I thought the performances in it and more so how people take an idea or something based off of fear and are able to elevate it into something bigger um, that I think made the movie very effective. Uh, I think that's why the comedy works better in this one than it did for Woodcutter, in my opinion. So if you wanted a satirical, conspiratorial movie, somewhere over the chemtrails. Cool. Uh, moving on to one of the other ones that played as the premiere for the horrors is Sick, which Zach got to see over in yeah. Toronto. All this right. is the new movie that is written by the homie who did Scream. So you definitely have somebody who knows the ins and outs of slashers, who knows how to play on the cliches. And I was really excited for this because I know he was only really consulting for Scream 5. Now that he's writing something here, it's him and a lot of writers, though, uh, or mm-hmm. two writers. Um I thought it was decent. I wanted to like it a little bit more, but I also don't want to bash it because it's able to do a lot of interesting things by playing on a slasher movie in the middle of a pandemic, right? So it's like, it's already letting you know, hey, there's going to be some jokes. There's going to be some elements that we're going to try to flip on uh, because of its setting. I thought a lot of them did work. I thought a lot of them were cop-outs and it left me somewhere in the middle, but I still very much enjoyed the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I ultimately feel like even though it's a bit small and a bit like, you know, I, I don't know if there's like a huge amount of revelatory stuff there. It just has these really satisfying sequences. I think the way they shoot the action in particular is really cool. It reminded me of the way they shoot stuff in like Upgrade, you know, like you're mm. really up close and personal visceral. in a way where like every swing of a knife feels visceral and dangerous in a way that I don't know if it always feels that dangerous in horror movies. So I don't know. There's just something I kind of dug about it. There's a there's an attitude to it that's fun it's certainly not like gonna be the best horror movie you see all year whether it's this year or next but it's but it's fun it's worthwhile and the flips that they do while corny at times especially when you build up to the motives and such it still kind of works right it's still like it's still funny enough especially as uh the way that the scenes play out but uh you're right i don't know when this will come out i feel like since it's missed a spooky period for this year it might be doing like the february you know like right Mm. when everybody's doing all the romance romance movies this is something that they want to flip on um but it's also like (laughs) it's a pandemic movie like when you want to pitch a pandemic movie everybody get out to the theaters to see the pandemic movie this is one where one person coughed or there is a person who coughs in the movie early on yeah only chicago screening where after everyone acknowledged that on screen Nobody coughed during it. Nobody. It's the only screening of the entire fest where nobody coughed. So I will say that uh, only because the movie called it out. But if you're looking forward to a slasher, sick. We got a live stream question from LaShawn asking if this one is like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Uh, and I don't know because no. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is like a murder mystery more so than a horror film. This is like a, a horror slasher. The only way in which I would say they maybe do have a little bit of a similarity is there is a bit of the like social satire of like how people talk to each other nowadays. Right. Yeah. And, and that's maybe the most minimal connection to make between them. Yeah. But like there is maybe a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, only because teens and slashes but i'd say it's the beginning of scream with drew barrymore for the entirety of it and you're like only coming out of that moment of being alone in this what is it like cabin house uh because you're getting into like the social media aspects of it so uh i think you would like it if you like bodies did you know that that's pamela adlon's daughter bro yes (laughs) yeah i i am fully aware of the adlon sisters and then you had uh her sister who's in hellraiser too yeah so i mean they've just been out there or something Pamela Adlin, yeah, she she just her daughters are about to take over Hollywood if they haven't already. But um, yeah, no, I thought it was a solid little movie. Put it on your radar. Uh, it's gonna be one to discuss with more spoilers the closer we get to its release. For sure. Let's see. Moving on to what I think is my one, two, three, four, five in my top five. I have an international movie called Fairy Folk. This is a film in where a couple is going through, you know, their ups and downs. They've got a couple of issues. Their car breaks down and they find an individual in front of their vehicle who has no genitalia. It's like a Ken doll down there. Doesn't really speak English. It's just a fairy folk. They take him home. Friends are like, what, what's going on here? What is this? And they try to explain to them, like, no, this is just like a being that we're teaching, almost like a pet, almost like a child, almost like a third person in the relationship who they're developing alongside with them. Is he helping the marriage? Is he helping to be more therapeutic for them? Uh, are there more fairy folk out there? This was one that actually kind of surprises at the festival and I found to be a nice little fairy tale of sorts. Um, that kind of allows a couple to examine their relationship through this encounter. 
Um, I think that the, the the friendship group that they have and the actors that they got for it were able to create a lot of really good banter throughout the movie. Uh, I think the main couple who we have uh, give up really strong performances. This is definitely a comedy, and I think that there are a lot of comedic moments, especially through misunderstandings. And yeah, I, I just thought it was very creative. So if you're interested in this film, I would put Fairy Folk on your radar. I am blanking on where it's from. But uh, I do know parts of it are in English, but it is in another language. As I pull it up over here, it's an Indian film. So, oh. uh, yeah, put this one on your radar if you're curious. Uh, it's very funny. Nice. One of the other ones that I believe also played in Toronto is another comedy slash drama called Luxembourg, Luxembourg. I believe yeah. this could be. I believe this is a Ukrainian film. I could be mistaken, but I, I'm pretty sure that's where it comes from. And this is following two twin boys who, when they were raised, were always kind of getting into mischief, but they thought it was okay because their father kind of was like a, a drug lord. He's a kingpin <laughs> of sorts. And as it flashes forwards, you see both of these uh, siblings have completely different lifestyles. One of them is a bus driver who kind of gets into a lot of mischief in his, in his uh, off time, while the other one wants to be a cop. And I think the way that they play off of the siblings having grown up and having different dynamics with their father, but then also being at a point where their father may be dying and they are trying to get to him, um, worked really well as just a story about siblings and following them. Um, but the way that it also relates to the power dynamics of one of them just being a bus driver, the other one being a cop. Which one's closer to the kingpin of a father? Is it the bus driver who does a lot of bad things? Or is it the guy who's just in an organized mob to a degree? Uh, this one really worked for me. I thought a lot of the um, slapstick comedy was pretty funny. Um, they're both really short. So there's a lot of short jokes in this as well. Uh, but there's also a lot of heart to it. So if you're interested in this movie, I don't think it was submission uh, submission for Ukraine. But it has yeah. played in a couple of festivals. And I thought it was a pretty decent comedy. Luxembourg, cool. Luxembourg. Yeah, it's been playing a bunch of the festivals. I, I know it uh, made a Philly. stop in Philly, and I was curious about it, but I ended up not being able to get there for that one. If my least. link still works, I'm going to send it your way, dude. Ooh, ooh. Um, so, they, yeah, because they were nice enough to send over a link, so shout out to the press people. And a lot of the press people were able to help us out because uh, that was one big thing with Chicago is figuring out uh, how you're going to fit all the movies in at once. But uh, shout out to all of the uh, studios and PR people who were able to help us out. Moving on from Luxembourg, Luxembourg is a movie that is technically more a drama. Do not get me wrong. But there's some goofy, funny romance stuff that happens in this. It's a film called My Sailor, My Love, which follows Howard, a retired sailor and widow who, because of his daughter, gets a maid to come, uh, to come in and start taking care of him. And he slowly realizes that he may have emotions for this maid. And the daughter argues, are you really trying to get with this woman? Or are you just doing the same old things you did raising us? And you mm. just want a maid for free by just <laughs> hiring her. Uh, by Instead of hiring her, just having her be your wife. And there's a lot of uh, intricacies in terms of the main old man who we have and his daughter and how their backstory was and how they were raised. And then also how this new family of this woman and uh, her daughters who come into play. And, you know, the dynamics of why are you now taking care of a new family when you never took care of your old family that uh, I thought made for some really heartfelt uh, moments. But their elderly love is just really, really funny. We found it to be like just 
adorable uh the way that they're trying to be very coy with each other the way that you know they're, they're advanced in years but they still kind of want to have this warmth with each other um i don't know it really worked for us i thought it was a very cute tale um so if you're interested my sailor my love i want to say it's an irish film i could be mistaken but uh, i would definitely have this on your radar as one of those like comfort watches like on a sunday morning or something like that like uh, even though there you mentioned those elements of like uh, discontent in the family it stays kind of light in tone yeah but it also gets very deep but it's those mo it's because of like uh the dynamics of the family that causes certain things to be goofy because you're like you're a real serious dude so you being in a lawnmower trying to peek in to see if you could see the the woman who you're trying to flirt with comes out funnier than it is you know it's because roy kent is such a aggressive guy that when he starts being kind of funny it, it it elevates itself a little bit more so i don't know why this is the film that's popping into my head but the way that like obvious child had like romantic comedy elements but the serious drama running through it is it almost that kind of balance yes obviously different subject matter but yeah that idea oh. of like bringing in the 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 family drama all of a sudden makes you go like oh he was being cute but like where was this love for his daughter so yeah um <laughs> I think you get really attracted to the characters. And again, it's only 103 minutes, easy breezy watch. Uh, I would highly recommend this one as like a, a date movie for sure, regardless of the age. Uh, moving into my top two, this next one is also a Chicago film, one that I saw at Tribeca and I Ooh. thought was pretty funny. We are pretty big fans of her short films. Uh, Alex Heller had done one that I think played at Sundance a couple years ago called Grizzlies. This was uh, a short film. I think they worked like at a convenience store or something. They work at a Dairy Queen. And we thought this was a really goofy uh, short film, which she also stars in. So I, I got to see her feature at Tribeca, but my link expired and I never got to see the ending. Hmm. So we went to go see the movie and she was there as well. Nice. And it is practically a biopic of sorts. Like it's not fully one-to-one -one her life, but it is following a young woman or girl who is in college and decides to take a year off doesn't really get to decide you know she she ends up uh being diagnosed as bipolar and that's how they answer oh yeah that's why you were scaring your roommate that's why you haven't really gotten anything done and it becomes this entire year where she's trying to better herself trying to find the medication that's going to help her but more than that that struggle with her family to put up with her but then like also obviously they're not gonna push it to the side but how are they balancing having her come back home and disrupt everything after they thought she was going to go away to college. And as she was saying at the Q&A, a lot of it is based off her life. And with it being a Chicago screening, she was looking up and seeing all of her classmates. And she even saw the dean that had sent her to the principal's office before they uh, even knew what she was going to be diagnosed with. But I thought uh, with her also being bipolar, the director, um, her approach to it is one of obviously care, but also like this is my story. And just because you didn't, this may not relate to your story doesn't mean that it invalidates my story. Because uh, I think the more that you get into these very specific type of um, movies about you know, different conditions that people live with, a lot of people want it to be uh, akin to what they are specifically going through. And I like the honesty that she keeps it to herself, um, what, what she had to go through, her own troubles. Her, her own perspective and I think she does it in a very 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 funny way I'm a big believer that the best ways to unstigmatize things is through comedy not necessarily to make fun of something but to to take away that stigma of it because you're able to laugh at it and you're able to make it part of the conversation so mm -hmm. I would highly recommend the year in between this is the one that ended up tying with glass onion and I would argue if you're tying with glass onion 
Sounds like the tie goes to the runner. So the year in between, <laughs> uh, a full Chicago movie, drama slash comedy that also has uh, Jay Smith Cameron, who some of you may know from Succession. I thought she does Jerry. a fan- fantastic job in this movie because it really is. It's a family. It really is a family movie, but it's a mother daughter movie. Um, and Steve Buscemi, who also plays the pops in this. So uh, it's a really good cast, a uh, really good writer, director and actress. So Any put other- the year between. Any other comedy out there, at least in tone, that you might? It's more like uh, Obvious Child. To? Oh, yeah, yeah, this one's more like Obvious Child for sure. It's got that darkness you, to it. Well, yeah, because you got those highs and your lows. You're you're like yeah. in the comedy element, and then slowly you find yourself talking about these existential stuff and like, how much is therapy, and could you even afford therapy? And she's giving therapy advice to someone who she knows will never be able to afford three hundred dollars an hour, and uh, it, like it gets into those pockets without feeling preachy. It, it feels more like someone venting than someone telling you about the state of mental health in America. And I appreciate movies like that. So. The year between. My final one out of the horrors and comedies is a movie that also played at Tribeca, but I missed because they they were sticking to strictly theatrical. So I bought my tickets to see it at the music box, and then they sent over a link. But Wesera is a winner out of Tribeca, and I'm not sure if it won something here, but it was winning some other awards for Best New Director and Best Horror at uh, some adjacent film festivals while it was playing at Chicago. And it follows a woman who is just about to give birth. She's pregnant. You're pretty much going through her entire process of it. Um, but because of her flashbacks, because of her upbringing, she starts seeing these supernatural visions, mainly having to do with this body horror of a woman snapping and cracking and popping and hmm. all these different things. I think it's a very effective body horror Um but it's not as scary as I think I, I was expecting it to be. It's definitely more of a parable. This is uh, a movie that definitely takes a lot of religious tones and uses a lot of um, uh, symbols, specifically uh, with Catholicism and spiders. And I think it's one of those movies where the more you know about the culture, the more you'll be able to appreciate it. But it still gives you enough where you don't need to know anything. Just watch the movie once. It'll give you all those clues. And on a rewatch, you'll be able to connect everything that you need to. Uh, I thought it was a great performance from the lead. Um, and I believe this is also based off of a short film. So if you're able to get the short film mm-hmm. online, maybe that'll give you a little taste for what the movie is. Uh, I don't know the plans for it yet, but uh, I thought it was a pretty solid movie. Um, and I'm very curious to see what this director does in the future. West very cool. Yeah, I remember it getting some uh, positive feedback out of Tribeca, although, like you said, unfortunately, we didn't get the chance to see it there. So I'm glad you finally caught up with it. It's a dope poster, too. I thought it looks like one of my favorite posters out of the fest. Um, But those would be all the horror comedies coming out of Chicago. Uh, I'm always a big fan when these festivals give you different genre picks because that way you're not just watching like back to back two hour, you know, dramas that are taking it all away from you. You're able to get, you know, some different different things here and there. Uh, and there's no better version of that than with shorts because on a shorts program the moment you're done with one and you may not be feeling it in five minutes that thing will be over and you'll have another one we were able to go to one of the shorts festivals excuse me the screenings uh, because they split it into several different categories they pull up right here how their shorts look Um, we were able to go see the city and state one which means it's all of the docs uh, and live action shorts 
that deal with Chicago. So we were able to hmm. see Carson Runquist uh, hey. and and his debut, or not necessarily debut, I would say theatrical debut. Uh, Carson was go. able to show his uh, Dirtbag movie, which I know is up on Vimeo. So for those of you interested, definitely go catch that. A couple of these you'll be able to find like on the New York Times or the New Yorker. They end up posting them on YouTube. Uh, and then some of them will end up getting releases throughout the year. But we were able to attend a uh, in-person screening for this, got to see the Q&A. Um, for these movies and matriarch actually won an award that was a movie yeah. uh, that's a documentary about a guy who wanted to kind of record his grandmothers and uh, when the pandemic happened he realized he was even more imperative to record them but he had to change the way of doing it so it became a more experimental doc because he couldn't be there with them fully one-on-one -on -one. Uh, and it's just observing their day-to-day -day life so i thought that one was pretty interesting um but looking at all the other different doc categories that you have this festival along with a couple of other ones i know sundance does it as well you can just buy a virtual pass, mm -hmm. watch all of these at your leisure. So I had bought Alina pass, boom, she binged them all in one day. Besides the city and state, you got some really cool animation stuff, After Dark. So if you just want to see some horror shorts, they got comedy, drama, docs, experimental, all of these crazy ones here. But these would be my top five. There was a little animated short called Grump in the Night uh, about a father who goes downstairs to catch what seems like a ghost that's turning the TV on and off. I thought the animation in this was just adorable. I could definitely see this being like a Disney short or uh, even more so an Apple Plus short because they've been able to pick up a bunch of shorts that like they're not too profound, but they're really cute in their animation. This one kind of hits towards the end of it. They give you a little bit of a review and I was like, all right. Really cute animation and a freaking adorable ending to this one. So put Grump in the Night on your radar. Hopefully that comes out on a streaming service. Uh, one of the live action ones that I would put on your radar is by Flavio. You have a mother who's kind of like an Instagram model and she's always taking pictures everywhere she goes, but they're all by Flavio. Her kid. Her kid is the one who's always making sure that she's in frame and all these different things. So when it comes to her trying to get a date with a pretty big, I want to say he's like an artist. She's got no one to take care of Flavio, so Flavio's going to have to join the date. And the way it progresses from there, I thought, was a uh, a really good movie about uh, not just a mother and a son, but a mother who's also, like, trying to do her own business moves. And the way that her son is kind of, like, following through with that, um, I thought uh, it's played out interesting towards the end. So um, it reminded me, like, of the Florida Project. Oh, but I want to cool. say... A but without a spoiler that I want to say about the Florida Project, because I think the Florida Project uh, pivots one way where this movie pivots the other way. But it's nonetheless a, a very similar scenario between the uh, parent-child relationship. Uh, so by Flavio, I think it's a pretty good one. And, and it's hefty, too, because it's 27 minutes. So this yeah. is like one of those shorts that could easily be a feature. So uh, by Flavio is another one to have on your radar, along with a little comedy right here called Action. Alina just told me it's a short film that takes place on a film set right before they yell, action. I mm. said, that's that's going on my top list just like that. It is hectic. It is, you know, just everything is happening uh, back to back to back as you're following this director trying to deal with different personalities. Actors who are like, oh, you, you know me from like the real famous thing I did. She didn't even really want the actor there. It's just someone who they needed in order to get funding. It, Living in Oblivion is one of my favorite feature films. It's one of my favorite indie films, mm -hmm. and this feels like a mini version of that. Would highly recommend Living in Oblivion. Would highly recommend this little short film, Action. Uh, I'm very curious to see how this gets a release, but uh, that's definitely one to have on your radar. Super short, six minutes. Um, the next Easy one. Easy watch. 
Easy watch. The next one is Shut Up and Paint. This is a documentary, 20 minutes long. This may be one that will end up being up on, like like I said, one of those like New York Times uh, doc videos. But this follows the painter, Titus Kafar, who realized that the more and more that his paintings become expensive, they're being put into houses, rich people's houses, who are not black people. And are definitely not his family members who will never be able to actually witness and look at the art that is being sold off to these private houses. So he decides to film it. The approach to this, his philosophy, his way of thinking, and obviously first and foremost, the art is observed beautifully in this doc. Shut up and paint. Definitely put it on your radar. I think it's a really great way of him um, voicing his creative process but more so just his way of thinking so i found this one to be pretty fascinating shut up and paint put this one on your radar but the best easily far and away just like blew me out of the water is a little animation called ice merchants i absolutely Mm. freaking love Uh, uh, this is alina's favorite i think this is in like top five it's one of those shorts that's so good you're comparing your top five with full feature films and may still include this little animated film right here Ice Merchants is beautifully, I want to say hand-drawn, as it follows a father and son who are ice merchants who live up in the mountains and parachute down every day to sell their ice. It's all you need to know. Go into it, observe it, take it in, and at 14 minutes, I can guarantee you, you're not only going to want to watch it again, but it will also be one of your favorite animated shorts or just shorts or just film in general that you're going to see in 2022. Ice Merchants. So those would be my top five shorts, awesome. Grump in the Night by Flavio, Action, the documentary Shut Up and Paint, and Ice Merchants. Awesome. Yeah, I see from the live stream, we have some people interested in those films. And, you know, luckily, the, the short films hopefully will find their way online sooner or later once they do their festival rounds. So, you yeah. know, definitely good ones to keep on that letterbox watch list and see uh, if their just watch gets updated, you know? Yep, Uh, because honestly, through YouTube, through Quibi, I was even seeing Mubi last night as I was going through their catalog. They have a lot of shorts that we've enjoyed from the festivals, and I'm like, oh, cool, someone's actually hosting it. So uh, that's always really cool to to see and to check out. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, always a lot of great shorts, and you always look out for them. Not only will those directors go on to do the big indie films like After Sun, uh, those shorts could also end up becoming feature films themselves, so. Moving on from that, uh, we have two categories left with the documentaries and the dramas. We got to start it with the docs here. Uh, really interesting, fascinating slate of docs, many of which we've seen at other places. For example, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed we covered in New York. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that we may have covered recently as well. Some of these being doc shorts, some that have been from South by. Um, but one of the ones that I, I missed out and I was hoping to, to catch was mm. a movie called The Compassionate Spy. It was the opening night film, and I didn't realize till like the closing night that it was a documentary. I thought it was like an I thought it was like a biopic or something. Um, and no, it turns out it's a documentary about a spy. I kind of know everything about this because someone sat behind us at a screening and just explained the entire plot, and then said it's a real story, so it's not really spoiling anything. So I kind of know everything, and I'm going to say. Probably go into it blind. Uh, it sounds like a very fascinating story about a spy. I'll leave it mm-hmm. th- at that. That uh, is also also serves as a really interesting history lesson to the Manhattan Project because they were a physicist there. So uh, this is one that I have on my radar from the docs. 
But other than that, I was able to catch a lot of the ones that I wanted to. I'll start with this trilogy of music-based ones in band, If These Walls Could Talk, and Louis Armstrong's Black and Blue. Uh, Starting with Louis because we just covered it yesterday in our recap. This is one that's already out on Apple TV. Excuse me. And we highly recommend it. Yeah, we talked about that, uh, uh, as you said, in one of our recommendations from yesterday. So uh, I know I saw someone in the live stream asking for recent docs, and that's probably the most recent one that we uh, can give our thumbs up to. But you've got plenty more to talk about in this segment. Mm -hmm. On top of that, Sasha Jenkins has just become what I would consider the go-to director when you want to do not just a music doc, but like an honest doc that gets into the ins and outs of it. So this is on Apple TV. We talked about how so many of the modern music documentaries just feel like hour and a half long promo films rather than Mm -hmm. actual documentaries. And uh, Sasha Jenkins is not a person who makes that kind of movie. No, sir. Uh, so definitely put this one on your radar and it looks beautiful on Apple TV. This would easily be one of my favorite docs I would put it in my top five, but easily the best out of these three music ones. Um, if these walls could sing comes from Mary McCartney, Zach, can you guess who Mary McCartney is? Uh, I'm assuming she is of related relation to the Beatles. Uh, she was able to be raised around Abbey Road Studio, and because of that, she has a lot of interviews and nice. you know, memories and stuff from there, and uh, this was one that we were sent a link for, and I, I'd say it's a great companion piece to um, what Disney Plus just received earlier this year, the Get Back series, in terms of right. being able to have something where you got to see their raw recordings, and then this being like an easy breezy, I want to say like 90, 100 minutes of just looking back at the different stuff that's happened in Abbey Road. Um, there was a South by doc from a couple years back titled Under the Volcano, which yeah. also kind of did a similar thing, talking about a recording studio in Hawaii that ended up like getting covered in ash. Um, this is interesting, mainly because of all of the big people who recorded in Abbey Road. Um, but I can't say that it adds anything new. It's more so like a refresher. She's able to get some really big names. They sit down. John Williams, Elton John, a lot of people in this. Um, but again, it's more so an overview. So uh, if you're interested in Abbey Road and just wanted like a quick kind of summary of it, if these walls could sing. Pretty decent look at why this is one of the biggest recording studios of all time. Band, though. I know what this was for a minute. Uh, I had heard this was a documentary, and then it plays off, and like it says right there, it's like it's like spinal an Icelandic spinal tap. I, I I felt like it was a movie where they were aware they were shooting a doc that they were writing, and in writing a doc, you're almost making a feature. Mm. It's a band of women who want to come back and do this other tour, but have decided to maybe cast a male. But in casting a male, it's no longer an all female band. On top of that, they're also arguing and fighting with each other on whether they're being as performative as they can or if they're going to go a less artistic route. And half the time, this performative stuff, this is a movie where it actually makes me laugh because of something they do. But after I laugh, I am greeted to 15 minutes of excruciating bits that just won't end. And right when I think it's over, they actually make me laugh. And then it's 15 more minutes of an excruciating bit that I did not care for. So I was in and out with this movie. I yeah. kind of want to semi-recommend it because of the gall of it being almost like a documentary that's already pre-written. Um, but it's also just like a, a very 
I don't know, man. It's the people yeah. in Iceland. I just don't understand their humor yet. <laughs> I, I need to watch more Icelandic films. That's what it's got to be. Not a great at bat percentage. I, guess. I have. It's on me. I, I put it on me, Icelandic people, because I think I may have one a little bit later that I do enjoy. But uh, hey, it's an interesting perspective to approach a documentary by already having an idea of how you want to record your farewell tour. That may <laughs> not be your farewell tour. Band. Um, yeah. Wrapping up the three music docs that we had on the radar. Uh, moving on to some political ones, religious ones. Uh, the little middle section right here begins with Pray for Our Sinners, a movie that looks back at Ireland's history with uh, how the church controls everything. That's pretty much the premise of this movie, looking mm -hmm. back and seeing how if you wanted to get anything done through a doctor, you have to go through the church. You want to get anything done through school, you have to go through the church. You have a problem domestically, it has to go through the mm -hmm. church. So in reality, they were the ones who had full control of it all. Um, I think we've mentioned a couple of documentaries like this, some that have come from personal artists i uh, would say like the sundance one with uh you know because this is sinead o'shea but i think we had the sinead o'connor one which was like her artistic journey growing up but then the exact same thing her relationship with the church um i like that one a little bit more maybe because it's more personal uh so you're able to like really relate to the stories that she's telling you here um this is good but it's kind of like look at the craziest story that we can get out of this person for five minutes and then we're moving to the next one the next one the next one so it's a good composite um but I, I can't say that it adds more uh, than other films may do in breaking down what's been happening in Ireland. But nonetheless, uh, that doesn't take away from its subject matter. But this was one that's played at TIFF. It's played at a couple of other places. Um, and at 81 minutes, again, gives you a good back history on what's going on over there, especially with the church. Interesting. The Big Payback was one that is another Chicago uh, city and state exclusive and it is about Evanston, Illinois and mm -hmm. the first time that they passed reparations I don't know if you remember this, but this was in 2020. It was a huge deal over here. They ended up finding a way to use um, The tax money for cannabis once they legalized it here in Illinois and using the excess money for reparations in Evanston and there was a whole backlash of like who do you decide who gets it who doesn't right. what about the other minorities here and this is a whole movie looking through that uh, I think it's edited very well I think it's one of those movies where it's still going on so you can't really say it's complete it's like a right. segment it's really just for the passing of this bill um, but it, it it's a good composite of the city at that moment specific, specifically in Evanston and how everyone was either opposing it or or the different ins and outs of it and they let different people speak <laughs> I think the movie definitely knows uh, who's making themselves sound more like a fool, but it lets people vent uh, every perspective that they have in terms of how this played out. But I will say, the money they've made out of cannabis, the giving it to reparations ain't the problem. They're making so much money up. <laughs> There's one person who's in there and goes, the moment that they're willing to give you money, you know they have way more money to give. That should be the problem. <laughs> so that was the one line that definitely stood out from this doc. Um, wrapping up cool. the other two in this middle section, Art and Pep, uh, a couple who have been here in Chicago, I want to say for the longest time fighting for LGBTQ rights. You could say that this is a story about the relationship, Arthur and I, I think his name is Pepe, um, or their restaurant, Sidetrack, that they've had here for the longest time. So it's almost like you're following their relationship. Art is the one who's always going to be yelling at other people, getting stuff done, and he's a crier. And then Pep is the one that everybody always uh, relates to, and he never talks smack. But then also, Sidetrack, it's open for business again after the pandemic. If you would like to go, we have brunches in the morning. Uh, it, it's it's cool to see like them as uh, 
kind of like pivotal figures uh, for a lot of the movements that happen here in Chicago and like how they relate to them having a brick and mortar spot to also represent them because technically, you know, they will not be here. So what lives on besides the the movements that you've made? Yeah, a building, a communal place for people to come in. Mm. Um, so uh, I, I like that kind of the dichotomy of it where it's like it's kind of a commercial for the place. But then at the same time, it's like the place is them. It's what will live on. Right. Um, so it's a cute little love story about them. Art and Pep. Interesting. And then this duo that I have here is The March on Rome and The Natural History of Destruction. Two movies dealing with World War II. One about how we approached it and the other one looking back at it. So The Natural History of Destruction has no narration. It's all black and white. It's all archives. I am... I find that fascinating when they make stuff out of archives. It, it'll probably yeah. be boring for half the people, uh, but it, it's really cool to just make an entire narrative following the beginning of people just having a really good day, just black and white, sitting out in cafes, and everything's good, everyone's eating. And then, you know, the camera pivots a little bit, and there's just, like, Nazi flags draped all over the place. And that was normal. You know, everyone was living happy during the period of time. Then you see the construction of, like, bullets and uh, all, all the military getting together. Then you start seeing those grenades drop, and it, it's just progressing through archive footage letting you know how the natural history of destruction works how humans can be together at one point and then destroy everywhere that they were having nice brunches in as it becomes mm -hmm. just rubble um i think it does it in a profound way by just moving images um but i know that it's one that for a lot of people sitting for 80 minutes it's pretty short when it's just b-roll for, <laughs> for many uh it, it may not hit but nonetheless i think it was a pretty fascinating look yeah, that sounds really uh, really unique yeah, you know what it reminded me of? Um, actually, I wouldn't say this one. March on Rome reminds me a lot of one of your favorites out of Sundance, which was three, the, minutes. Uh, three minutes of lengthening. Yeah. Yes. He's able to take in March of Rome um, footage from, I don't know why I'm blinking on it, it's not on here, um, a, a film that Mussolini shot. Hmm. And he makes like a video essay on what he considers the first video essay, which was a movie that was shot showing a march that invigorated Italy to become the fascist state that it became in World War II. And he breaks down all of the editing techniques that he used and pretty much calls them a fraud, saying that film that everybody looked at, you shot it from different angles and no one knows the different techniques that you reversed the image, that you did all these different things, <laughs> that it rained on the day you marched. So you brought everybody back the next day, but you can't hide the mud that's on the floor. But you knew that them in the rain would make them look like they were crying. A fascinating little video essay on World War propaganda. Um, right. It's 97 minutes long. The version that I saw felt incomplete because they would have like tallies of... Uh, casualties and they just the number wouldn't appear but this comes from mark cousins who last year also had a movie at chicago called the story of film a new generation right. and he's had different versions of the story of film and orson welles films and he's a big documentarian um so he has a really good approach on uh, breaking down something and making it you know very easily accessible um i do feel could, his movie could have gone a little bit longer and i felt like he focused on a lot of uh adjacent films of that time period that he gravitated to more than I think would have been like the staples of the 1930s, excuse me, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, I like Mark Cousins as a director, as a documentarian, and uh, this is in that video essay doc category. So the March on Rome and the Natural History of Destruction for you world history buffs out there. <laughs> um, 
But getting into my top four, there was a Chicago doc called King of Kings chasing Edward Jones that follows one of the big mob bosses of Chicago, a a racketeering maestro. Um, During Al Capone's period, there was this dude who was able to build an entire empire and to a degree kind of have his own community that was thriving. And obviously in Chicago, when you are able to find your own place, someone's going to come in and try to destabilize that. Uh, I wish this documentary was a better documentary. They overlight the people in this movie. I don't Mm. think the audio is as good as it could be. I don't think the edit, you know, they always tell you there's that hack that they say the easiest Oscar to win is the live action documentary short. All you need to do is find an interesting subject and they give you like these are the four that the oscars really love save all your money for an editor this movie did not save all their money for an editor you have a fascinating story but at the end of it and i feel like someone might have put this as a letterbox review it feels like wherever the budget went that was part of racketeering 101 as well you used it for something else because this man deserves like a really cool story and there's a part of this movie where they they show you in the documentary footage of him in court and the way that he's lying in court and that footage right there is so cool because you already know that that's the footage that an actor is going to use as motivation, as the inspiration for whatever right. that Oscar scene would be for their nomination. Like, I want to see someone play this guy in a biopic. So the story itself, I highly, highly recommend. I wish the storytelling of its documentary was better. But King of Kings, yeah. Chasing Edward Jones, I thought was a really good look at uh, someone from the old school days of Chicago. Interesting. I, I wish I had a poster here. I don't even have a poster here either. But Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, nonetheless, as really a consequence story. of reviewing these films right after their like, you know, fest debuts. Nah, 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 nah. That, that's not that much. Ah, that's not dumb. <laughs> they got to come up with something, man. Yeah, <laughs> they got people paying twenty five a ticket. I mean, it's from it sounds from the sounds of it, they couldn't even afford a gaffer, let alone the poster designer. So, what's bad is it's right there, man. They got one right here. They turned <laughs> one in. They turned one in. It's right there. They got this one okay, right here. Okay, there we go. It looks pretty decent. So someone has some. Uh, the next one would be Innocence. This is a documentary about... Uh, Zach, I don't know if you know this. In <laughs> in Israel, they draft you, and you got to serve for two years. Yeah. And here, it's telling you this story of a bunch of kids who decided, nah, um, they wrote a lot of poetry. They wrote a lot of um, anecdotes, notes, stories, and rebelled against it. They... they um, spoke out about having to do mandatory service and how the innocence of the youth is being broken, not just when you enter and are being forced to hold the gun, but that by the moment you start school, it is being ingrained into you in Israel that you need to serve for the two years. And, uh, you know, the ins and outs of the military complex and how the guys look forward to it and what is the goal how are you a good soldier what makes you a good soldier and there's a thing that they do in the third act which i'm sure it being a documentary some people may be able to look into it and see what it is uh, it caught me off guard it floored me and i thought it made the uh the narrative of the documentary and their perspective just way more profound um trigger warnings i guess for those who need it uh look into it to see what it is but this, uh, I thought it was a very, very good doc that uh, puts you into the perspective of how it shapes the society from the beginning of a, of a kid's life, not just when they turn 18. Uh, so Innocence, have that one on your radar. Alongside The Visitors, we see a lot of movies talking about going green, talking about, oh, no, the, the world's going to end. Watch this doc. We have nothing, no hope to give you. We're all going to die. 
The Visitors is about a woman who decides to go visit. I want to say this is Iceland. It's summer, bro. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Norwegian. Okay, it's a Norwegian island. And when okay. she gets there, she realizes that this is an island. Let me know when this sounds familiar, Zach. This is a group of people who live in a town who can really use visitors to come in to help the town get better. But they also don't like the visitors coming into the town, so they don't end up getting better. This sounds like Aura Men. This sounds like several, like five other dramas we're about to talk about. But this is a documentary that showcases a woman who actually wants to make a difference. She has arrived, and she wants to make sure that the Norwegian people and those who are visiting are able to coexist. But there's a lot of push and pull. One of them being that uh, she has moved there with her family in order to be able to start a community there, but nobody wants to teach them Norwegian. But the Norwegian people feel that they should learn Norwegian. They just don't do a class. Uh, There is the whole going green part where, unlike a lot of places in America where people are like, oh, something bad is going to happen if we keep it this way. Ah, well, when we get there, they see the effects immediately over there. They're seeing, you know, mudslides, avalanches, all these different things happening. And in which case... They're arguing, do you go green in order to fix that? Or do you go green and then you have no visitors because it's going to cost money to do that? Because that means the grocery. This is like the first time you actually had a documentary admitting that going green means you will not have the five options of cheese at your store. There will be repercussions for it. And I appreciated that honesty in it uh, because it faces it head on and it goes, here is the destruction that's happening. Here are the consequences. Here's what would need to be changed. I thought it was very effective. I thought she does a really good job interviewing different people who have come trying to live in this village and uh yeah this is one of the ones that we thought was going to be like kind of boring for whatever reason uh we thought it was gonna be a woman living in the ice and no it was a very effective movie talking about the ins and outs of how to keep a place afloat uh with all the pros and cons that are happening by having visitors that come in and out um pretty effective one i put this one on your radar both those last two sound very fascinating. You were telling me a little bit about Innocence even before we started recording. I, those are definitely ones that I'm going to yeah. keep an eye out for. Uh, and then the winner of the big Hugo Award at Chicago was a documentary, Ailey's. I had explained this one to you as it being uh, a bunch of young women who all live in this uh it's practically like a foster house it's like a community home for all of these girls and they documentarians have been doing these kind of therapy sessions with them and one of the sessions involves creating a girl named Ailey's. is she real is she not it's kind of like a like a test a a little therapy session that they're doing and they almost kind of create Ailey's as a version of themselves or a version of someone who is very important to them and as the movie progresses and they continue to speak about Ailey's it really is just them sitting there and you're seeing them just confess to the camera one-on-one uh it was a pretty profound doc because it's them disclosing a lot of the troubles that they've gone through but in a manner that's easier for them because it's happening to this imaginary person but is the person real by the end of it uh, very, very, very effective. I think it was worthy of its award. Uh, this is one that you definitely have to bring the tissues for. And uh, yeah, uh, I can see this one picking up some awards, uh, especially in the indie circuit. Ailey's. Put this one on your radar if you want to cry. <laughs> Before we get to the drama, Zach, I'm sure you want to shout out all of the intercuities, especially the patron members that are out there. Yeah, uh, we, of course, always give a big thanks to the Intercuity Plus patrons, those wonderful people who support the show. They are Ewan, Julieta, Garrett, Tim, Elizabeth, Josh, Ashley, Marion, D.A., Matt, and Mr. Kobayashi. Our Academy-level members, though, are Tushar, Cademan, Connor, Pete, Sean, 
May, Ricky, What's the Matter, and I actually said Marion earlier. Marion is now an Academy member. I forgot to update hey. that on my script here. Uh, of course, though, we have to give the biggest thanks to our producer level patrons. They are awkward and you, Denver. Thanks again for all your support of the show and a reminder that you too can become a member of the patreon team at patreon.com slash intercut pod you can sign up for patron benefits like early access to our intercut episode outlines access to private channels on the intercut discord early access to intercut episodes i already uploaded our next bracket episode for the patrons to check out and also you get an invitation to our monthly patron google meetings we had a fun meeting with the patrons last night right Mm mm-hmm Lots to talk about, lots of new movies. Talked about everybody's horror favorites, their Halloween horror plans. So get in on the action for as little as $1 a month on patreon.com slash intercut pod. Beautiful. Time to get to the dramas. Let's do it. Uh, I'm going to split this between three little categories. My rent hits, my junior prices, worth going out to the theater for that matinee, and then what I consider some of the best of the best, the movies that I think you should Definitely watch before the end of the, your end of the year list. Uh, a couple of the rentals, just just you know, the entry level ones. Probably not my favorites. The, you know, I don't think I gave anything two and a half stars. Really, okay. I think I've been really nice. I gave them three. Yeah, that means they didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't do something that was for me. Right. Um, I got a little duo here of a movie called Runner and a movie called A Human Position. You know when they start talking about movies and they start saying the. Uh, the landscapes are beautiful. And they keep mentioning the landscapes and the landscapes and the landscapes. <laughs> it's probably because there's probably nothing else to mention. Yeah. Oh, uh, the cinematography. That... <laughs> wow, the cinematography. The gowns, the gowns. Uh, <laughs> this is, a, I believe, a Midwest movie right here in Runner. It's a film about a girl kind of dealing with the sudden death of her father. It is 76 minutes long, but every scene feels like it's 76 minutes. Uh, Zach, I know that you especially love when someone's on top of a hill and goes down the hill. <laughs> And you get Shouts to see to Frankie. the entire thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you know the scenes and where Rooney Mara eats a pie and she eats the whole, the whole damn pie. pie. Yep. This is that movie. If someone's looking through boxes of shoes or boxes, they're going to look, Zach, through every single box, baby. It is stunning. It is a very beautiful movie. I think it's very serene. The the poster that you see right there, which sees that, you can come up with a poster that someone else made for you and still have something on your site, uh, is, a, is a very beautiful sequence of them, you know, going in and out of the, the great plains that they live in. They're, they're really just living in, you know, very rinky-dink old Midwestern town that has a church that everyone meets up in. Um, you could feel the wind from the outside. And it's just a very slow-moving American Midwest movie. If you like landscapes, put this one on your radar. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful landscapes. If you like compositions, put this one on your radar. This is one where a woman starts at the beginning and goes all the way down the stairs, Zach. This is one to to have in your radar. Um, It is also a, a relationship movie, so I will say that there is a little bit more to this one as even though it's one of those that shows you... Uh, an exterior frame so that you can see the whole thing as characters make their way down. Um, you also have a couple who's in search of a chair. And I think the relationship and as they're looking for this chair is a pretty beautiful one that uh, it's, it's very slow paced, but um, look beautiful while, while you are observing them. Both of these very, very, very 
These are slow movies. These aren't patient movies. These are slow movies I'm talking about. Uh, that may be up your radar if you're a fan of scenes like that of Frankie. Um, right. But moving into my matinees, these are all movies that I think may interest some people because of their their varying perspectives. Right off the top, we got a little movie called Piaf that I believe won like a creative award of some sorts. You have a girl, a woman, who ends up having to take the lead position of Foley artist because their sibling has been admitted into a hospital. So as a Foley artist, they're working on this commercial for, uh, I think, an antidepressant, and they have to do the Foley for the horse. And then they start growing a tail. It is a very fascinating. This is probably the most erotic movie out of the fest. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't the word I was expecting you to use next. What he said, horsetail. It is the most erotic movie because she seeks. I don't even know if it's help, Zach. Advice, counsel. She seeks something out of a uh, professional. I think he's like a botanist, to be honest with you, but it's some scientist who she ends up building a relationship with and he starts observing her in various ways. Uh, very artsy. This is definitely one of those very artsy movies that if you want something new, baby, this is something new. Uh, there's some pretty decent dance sequences in here. I think that there are some metaphors and themes that you can pull out of what the tale represents to her, especially her relationship with her sibling. And then also just that... Uh, looking at the medium itself of being a Foley artist in a movie that also really relies a lot on Foley because she gets called out that the Foley doesn't sound like a horse or like, have you ever met a horse? So she goes to meet a horse and the sounds I'm hearing, I'm like, I don't know. These are Foley sounds too. What if they've never met a horse? It did sound right because I was practically raised in a ranch. But if you, if you are a horse person of any sorts, this is for you. It is a very, very interesting narrative. It's not going to be for everybody, but for someone who wants something different uh, and for the horse people out there, Piaf, coming to a theater near you. I think it's also a short. So if you find the short online, let me know because I'm curious to see what the short covers because a lot of different things happen in this movie. <laughs> um, the next one that I have, I'm not sure if it, this is a submission, but Zach can correct me on that. It's a movie called Before, Now, and Then that is following a woman who's kind of had her own conversations or past with her ancestors, her mother, and now kind of dealing with her own daughter and what advice she would give her and how you're supposed to approach life as a woman in Indonesia. Hmm. I want to revisit this one because um, by the end of it, the lesson that she tries to teach her daughter, she was technically trying to teach herself first. So in rewatching it, you kind of see the approach of someone who is given the advice, but not till the end of it realizes, oh, now that I've gone through this journey, that's what that means. It the idea, yeah, change your whole opinion of what you had seen before. Yeah, and it's not even in a narrative way; it's in an emotional way. It's like, right. oh, that's why you put up with that. That's why you'd be willing to go through this. Um, so it's definitely a character study that I think the lead was able to handle very well in this. Uh, and again, cool. I'm not sure if this is a submission for Indonesia. But it's not. if it is, I didn't okay. see it as a submission for anything. The, does Indonesia have a submission? Missing home. Missing home. Okay, I have not heard that one. Um, but before now and then, I thought it was a pretty good performance from the lead that kind of tells you why mothers and women in general always have a spot behind them. Their buns, because there's always secrets that they're keeping. <laughs> 
the next one that we have is The Lost King. This feels like an Apple Plus TV movie. I know we were talking yeah. so smack at Apple Plus TV movies, but this is like a good one. It's like a yeah. Philomena. It's like a, it's like a cute one that shouldn't make it all the way to the Oscars. And if it ever did, you'd be like, why did this make it all the way over here? Uh, I see that you've seen it. You may have caught it at TIFF. I did catch it at TIFF, and it's one of those movies that you see at a film festival, and it's like, this was good. I'm not sure why I saw it at a film festival, but this was good. Exactly. Uh, the premise is that it's a true story that happened in 2011-2012 of a woman who, while she is divorced, has found a way for her ex-husband and her kids and everyone around her to be devoted to her cause of uncovering King Richard III's remains and giving him the justice he deserves because he was actually belittled and just uh, almost mocked. defied, mocked as the man who really pushed the printing press. That technology was used against him. Um, it's a cute movie. I enjoyed it for what it was. We were able to catch this at one of the early press screenings. I, I'm a big fan of Sally Hawkins. She just, she hones in on this type of character. She typecasts herself, mm -hmm. but she does it so well. Uh, it's just like adorable, but a little... Um, yeah, like disconnected she, from how everybody else is almost like conniving her, but she's, you know, out of the goodwill of her own heart, believes in the best of things to happen. But uh, yeah. Yeah, she's maybe a little more downtrodden than you sometimes get from her, but she is good at being this kind of like ball of anxiety going through life. And as far as this film is concerned, like, I think it kind of feels in a way almost like a journalism movie because it is about her investigation to get to the bottom of this idea. And she's trying to find her version of the truth and and get that version of the truth out there. Um, it's it's fun. It's it's it takes some interesting twists and the performances are, are all good. It's just not um, necessarily the most revelatory film. We, no. we talked yesterday uh, about films that are are good as movies to watch with your parents this is definitely a good movie to watch with your parents kind of easily because it's also cute the way that she approaches talking to the king because she has an image in her mind so instead of it being like you said uh a by the numbers journalistic thing it's almost like she's talking to herself uh, uh and she gets caught <laughs> doing that yeah. too so again she's adorable in it um and i didn't know too much about the story either so yeah, uh, true story pretty interesting Although, thing to look back one on. of the people who is portrayed in the film i think is now suing the film for libel so i think i know goes. who it is and i wouldn't know why <laughs> <laughs> screw that guy yeah. uh, but the lost king i see it as being a perfect perfect apple plus movie maybe netflix it should be streaming somewhere so we'll see yeah. the next one is a movie that will be in theaters come november and inspection and this Ooh. man they just feel like a double feature i had heard nothing but Things from Inspection, from everyone on the Intercut podcast. So I decided, all right, I'm going to go see Devotion instead. I got uh, tickets to go watch this because it was one of the special gala movies. And they were even going to have Jonathan Majors there. I was able to record the whole q and I'll be posting it closer to the release because he had some really, really good moments that he was discussing there. Uh, he was also awarded um, and honored there. And this comes from J.D. Dillard, who... I like him as a director. We saw Sweetheart at Sundance. Slight was an interesting kind of uh, teen power movie, I think, because he's got like uh, telekinesis in there. Right. Devotion is decent. It's good. It's going to be your by the numbers type of biopic that you're getting for the holidays that people go watch in theaters as a family. Um, it has its action. 
excuse me, like Green Book, I think it has those racial dynamics where it doesn't push them too hard mm -hmm. just enough, you know, that I think doesn't really offend anyone until it starts winning awards. So as long as this movie See? doesn't get picked up for any awards, I don't think it will hurt anybody. Uh, I love Jonathan Majors. I think the Q&A that he gave ups the movie for me. Mm. I understand that the movie is going to be just a basic film for a lot of people. Uh, it's also like produced by a boy in the bag, Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell, out of everybody in Top Gun's, like I'm going to continue making more Top Gun right. movies over and over again because he's the one who got his his pilot's license you and got he the produced itch to the be movie. In the sky. Yeah, he's yeah. Look, he's going out of his way to uh, continuously try to make as many movies as he can. Yeah, uh, Apollo ten and a half. He's also up in the sky. So the man is yeah. He's got his head in the clouds. He's good in it. <laughs> Jonathan Majors is good in it. Um, again, some of the stuff that he said in the Q and A adds a personal element to it. Where this, wh while this is a true story of a pilot, um, it's also Jonathan Majors looking back at his career and how he parallels. Um, the pilot's career to him, his career in Hollywood and what they've gone through to reach the successes that they've had. Two days later, the uh, trailer to Ant-Man drops. So <laughs> at that point, I should have like I should have gone to go dab him up or something because he was like literally right in front of us. Everyone went to go say hi to him. Uh, I didn't know that there was a rule that he's not allowed to sign Creed posters until Creed comes out. Really? Yeah, he had like a whole thing about that. He's like, no, you know, I can't sign until later. The guy's like, yeah, I know. I just wanted to see if you would get it. I was like, this is a thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, there's like before and there's after. I remember catching him in uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yes. He's blown up in so many things since then. The Five Bloods, The Harder They Fall. Just speaking of which, since we're on it right now, do you see that the director of Last Black Man in San Francisco directed the new Adele video? For what song? Uh, I Drink Wine really no yeah. i have not seen that i've yeah. i've been super, like what is he doing and even the lead from that movie jimmy falls isn't done like, i haven't i, know. I haven't seen they're all they're all biding their time i guess i don't know man we need them all together with something else well the one person yeah. who has not been sleeping is jonathan John majors because this does not even include his tv stuff and obviously he killed it over on hbo as well we had they had a lot of fans there and there was actually one fan slash worker in the q a it's part my favorite part that i caught it one of the volunteers came up to me and said did you film that part can, can you airdrop it to me? And nice. there was someone who came out of their way to ask a question. And he was just like, I, I was working on, uh, what was it, Lovecraft? Uh, with you when you guys were filming here in Chicago. And we mm. prayed together with Michael K. Williams mm. weeks before his passing. And I just needed to come out here to talk to you. And the question that he asked and the way that it caught Jonathan Majors off guard and the way he answered, I can't wait to upload that clip. It was, it was beautiful Q&A. That, that was worth $25 alone. The movie? Amazing. Eh, decent. Junior yeah, Price, matinee it if you can. Does the movie lose any of its impact coming out the same year as Top Gun, which is like now the the premier fighter pilot depiction we're going to get? Uh, I think maybe it helps it. It belittles it in the sense that it will, won't be able to surpass it, especially with the, yeah. the, the filmmaking of it. There's a little bit more CGI over here, but I thought the scenes were still pretty cool, and I think it may have people le uh, still having that itch for more flighting scenes. So if anything, it might help it that it's coming out uh, on the opposite season of Top Gun, but it's obviously not going to surpass it when it's <laughs> when Top Gun's still fresh in people's minds. But again, this is a movie about two men learning to learn things from each other. So for that, I feel uh, a lot of people may connect to it. Joe Jonas is also in it, and he's got a song. Yeah. He's all right in it. He's okay. 
<laughs> Metronome, a really quick one over here. It is a movie that takes place in the 70s with a bunch of kids who decide that it'd be really fun to like, I don't know, talk about communism. And then a lot of them have like parents who are kind of involved in really big positions of power. So when they all get caught talking about communism, they're like, oh, no, <laughs> what, do, what do we what do we do if I got to get my parents in trouble? That's this movie. Uh, okay, Alcaraz. Alcaraz is another movie that is an actual submission for... Yeah. Uh, I'm blinking on the... If you can pull Spain. up the, the day for that. Spain. Um, and it's cute. I, I, it didn't win me over like I feel it might win a couple of people over because you're practically following a family who lives in a peach farm and that's what they do for a living. And really it's their dynamic of like they all know how to do the routine of picking peaches and they all have different uh, roles that they play within the family. And it's a hangout movie with them. Like really, they're just always goofing off on top of the fact that they kind of uh, forgot to actually own their land because it was a spit deal with the grandpa back in the day. And now they're trying to take it. So it's a mix of it being this drama and then them being, you know, just kind of chill. It's time to just hang out as a family and relax and enjoy things. Um, it's good, but I would put personally another picking movie called Under the Fig Trees, where mm. that's also an Oscar submission for another country. And I thought that one, uh, I don't know, had more of an impact on me. But Alcaraz, uh, still a decent movie. We'll see if this one gets shortlisted. I have a feeling it might because it's getting a pretty big release. And if I'm not mistaken, it is a movie movie so i don't know how much money movies got because they've got several things that are going to be releasing but right. alcaraz is a big one that they have because it is a submission and that other um, one you mentioned under the fig trees is tunisia's submission. tunisia's oh we'll be getting to that one because that one definitely made my top uh hurrying it up here great silence interesting little uh drama about a two two uh, sibling siblings who went through a tragedy and one of them has decided to go become a nun and is about to devote herself you know it's about to do the whole ritual where she marries jesus and her brother comes in and brings back all of their history and for the and kind of the reason why she may be running away and trying to become a nun in the first place. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought the dynamics between the siblings worked really well, especially because every 15 minutes you're learning something new about them, and it changes the entire perspective of why they're there in the first place. So I thought this was a pretty good movie. Would highly recommend this if it's playing at a Narhouse theater as a nice little like morning movie. Go get a bagel, watch this film, and be like, interesting. That was uh, pretty well put together. A very nicely written film. Same thing with the novelist film. A movie which uh, I just saw the trailer when we went to the Gene Siskel and I'm just like, this is the weirdest thing to market. It is literally a movie about a novelist talking about and walking about thinking maybe I should make a film. And the film you're watching is that film. I am a novice to Hong Sang-so's movies. I saw that he has a lot on movie that I will be catching up on. This was my first ever Hong Sang-so film, and I have so many of him, uh, his movies on my watch list. And I really like this one. I heard that the more you know about him as a director, the more you're going to get out of this movie and the little nuances and like things that he falls back on. But uh, it's really, really just a hangout movie. You'll be walking with people, and then you're just stopping to talk for 15 minutes, yeah. straight, 20 minutes. They're just drinking. That's it. That's all this movie is. Um, I think it looks like poop. It looks like it was digitally shot with absolutely nothing but natural lighting. But that's not the point of the movie. And I think the people who are looking forward to it, that's not the point for them either uh you keep telling me he's a dude who likes to do two years he's like woody allen in that where he's coming in and i know at new york he had this and walk-up plan i haven't mm -hmm. seen walk-up yet um but after seeing a novelist film I, I i think i i like this director a little bit more than zach does so <laughs> yeah i mean he just has this like leisurely pace to his dialogue that sometimes i i get a little bit 
restless with, I guess. Um, but I'm glad to hear that you like this one. And I'm curious what you think once you uh, dive deeper into his catalog. But yeah, he he puts Woody Allen to shame even. Woody Allen was doing one a year. This guy's got two every two. year. Every yeah, that's year. crazy. That's crazy. So I'm looking forward to all of his other ones. So if you have any suggestions, please let me know. And I saw some people were asking about the uh, Oscar submission thing. I don't know if you wanted to share the link. Oh, yeah. But as, as Zach had said, uh, it wiki baby they do a great job of compiling it and putting it on a table for you and then we love using imdb letterbox just watch to keep a track on uh when they get released but uh that, that's usually the best way to go about it yeah if you just google uh best international feature 95th oscars sub, uh, wikipedia submissions uh there is a list of submissions from every country and it's pretty awesome uh, just to be able to look through all the things that have been submitted and some of them have already uh, some of them are already available to watch or rent. I think Girl Picture is one that we talked about uh, out of Sundance that you can t get on VOD. All Quiet on the Western Front is on Netflix right now. So it's a good way to kind of get ahead of the Oscars game is go check out that list and catch a couple other movies. Mm -hmm. So let us know if you've caught any that you think should be on our uh radar because we still got a couple more to give you there but just to pull up that list this is what zach was talking about uh and it yeah it's really cool because you're able to just have everything right there at your leisure i'll post it up here on the chat as well so people can nice. save it uh and i believe the short list will also be on there so that uh you'll know which ones i think what they end up like bringing it down to 20 yeah. um so then you know what's there and some we've already covered saint omer uh holy spider from tiff bantu mama so a lot of good ones yeah bantu uh, mama will will give a quick shout out is going to be on netflix november 17th decent movie yeah all right the substitute this is an argentinian movie but in argentina they have so many good movies some of them are just not going to make it all the way but i thought this was solid uh it is a teacher who's looking out for his kids who nobody thinks deserves the time of day he's trying to teach them poetry and how to read and yes it is argentinian freedom writers hmm is still decent. Uh, it was funny because after the Q&A, we had the actress there and she was talking about how the entire thing really is this uh, family movie. Her husband is the director. Her daughter plays the main guy's daughter. Um, <laughs> and one of the ladies there, because there is a, a funny thing about the audience at Chicago is that a lot of them are older and a lot of them are watching these international movies and that's their like first insight into international things. Mm -hmm. So there'll be questions like, is it really like this in Argentina? Or more like, ooh, he is muy guapo, mucho. And I'm like, yo, what, what are y'all asking at these Q&As? But uh, as a lead, the audience thought he was mucho guapo. So there nice. is that to take home. Uh, <laughs> but he was also a very solid actor. He was a big actor over in Argentina. And like I said, it is you know, a pretty standard movie that you've seen if you've caught any of that genre of the teacher really going out of the way, putting a lot of their own personal uh, right. stuff on the line in order to make sure that these kids are able to find success, not just teaching them in school, but going into their personal lives and then how he gets intertwined with all that drama. Pretty decent movie. I can't say it's going to blow anybody away, but can't knock it for it doing a solid job. Uh, above that, one of your favorites of the year, how to blow up a pipeline oh, this is go. one that i've been seeing people come in and give four and a half damn your five stars people have been indoctrinated by this movie i thought it was pretty good um this is one that i want to give it a rewatch because i feel that this is there's always a, a certain period in time be it uh stanford prison experiment oh yeah uh what about you know the other one 
You know the other one, Zach? Short Term 12. Yes, yes. There are these movies that come out with an eclectic young cast that you just know, ah, this will be the first time we see them and we will call back to this mm -hmm. movie once half of these people end up making it really big. Um, I know this is based off of a book and I think you told me that the book is like an actual manifesto. Yeah, um, it's a nonfiction book. There's no story. There's no plot in the book. That All that is of Daniel Goldhaber and his writing team's creation. And I can't believe that the book's actually in the movie. It makes a little cameo in there. Right. Um, I love I love the way that it's told. Um, I like all the perspectives from all the characters and the way they clash and argue and fight with each other. Uh, I personally wanted a little bit more stakes. I wanted it to mm. go a little bit deeper. It could just be that I was hyped up a lot, so reeling myself back down because it was also an early one that I caught too. Like I wasn't tired of anything. I was going yeah. straight into it early in the morning. Um, but it was effective. It's a very good tense thriller. I think you called it like a heist film. But it, yeah. instead of taking... I mean, they're taking something, but they're doing it. They're, they're leaving something uh, yeah. ablaze. Um, really good cast, and I'm excited to see what they do all in the future, including the director, because I've already liked his previous film, uh, Cam, that was over on Netflix, and it sounds like everybody is really digging this new movie. And I've heard his Q&As are really good. I haven't been able to hear him talk about the movie, but I hear the way he talks about the movie uh, has like expanded a lot of the storylines because yeah. it definitely feels like uh, they trimmed down a lot of people's uh, stories there. But How to Blow Up a Pipeline, one of the biggest movies coming out. Decent. Yeah, I would highly, highly recommend it. I actually caught it for a second time at the Philly Film Fest. Woo! I went and, uh, and? Took, uh, took my girlfriend to that one. It holds up, man. I, I think it's just an electric movie. I know what you're saying in terms of wanting a little more for the stakes. The, the number one criticism of it that I can't really argue too much against is that it, it's a little bit neat for a movie that is supposed to be so dirty. Thank you. Okay, just as long as you agree with me on that, because like I don't know if there's going to be promo for other people to do it, because it's kind of one of those movies where it's like, this is kind of like an advertisement to continue doing it. But I'm like, ah, you false advertise it, because like one person got hurt? I don't <laughs> know that about bad. that. And not that bad. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I don't two, know. Two of them got hurt. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it's all, but also at the same point, like, I think when you're sitting there, the tension is really high. The stakes feel high. Maybe, maybe by the end, um, they d there isn't that much going on that's in their way. But at the same time, you were talking about uh, the visitors and how it's a film that is able to kind of take a more realistic approach to uh, yeah. the climate crisis. And you, I, you are, one of the yeah. things that I really loved from How to Blow Up a Pipeline is that it is a little bit of like. A, a, a glimmer of hope in this, in the face of hopelessness, the idea that people do have the power. Uh, and I think we've seen so many just like existentially doomed films from first reformed to, to night moves or, or what is whatever the Kelly Reichert one is uh, yeah. that to get one that actually has this kind of like optimistic, let's go energy was pretty cool. It was it was nice and refreshing. Although I don't know if I'm going to go do terrorism, man. I, that, that's, Please don't. That seems like a lot. <laughs> as long as you're associated with this podcast, I'd say I, I, I would just re <laughs> I just recommend don't. <laughs> uh, I will say shout out to another movie called Gasoline Thieves. I think that's another one yeah. that takes very similar perspectives in the sense that they're obviously dealing with a crisis of uh, mismanagement of said resources. Uh, but that's one where. It takes a different approach, and I think it's indicative of the people there realizing. Because it's a movie that takes place in Texas, so yeah. knowing how the pipelines are in Texas, I understand the approach, but it's also like I, pros and cons, I guess. But 
how to blow up a pipeline. Um, uh, don't know what the dates are going to be for this, but it feels like it's still doing a lot more festivals. It may continue doing yeah. festivals until next year. Watch Neon, it be spotlight at Sundance. Yeah, Neon only picked it up after TIFF, so it's probably not going to come out until sometime next year. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it does make an appearance at Sundance. So maybe you got to get on the uh, virtual ticket bandwagon to, that to would go be see good. this one. That'd be awesome. All right, wrapping up this middle section right here of my matinees, I have a twofer with Paloma and Monica. Uh, Monica is a movie that's following a woman who's returning home because her mother is... Uh, She's getting close to passing. She's played by Patricia Clarkson. So she's very subtle in the role. She's doing a lot of her acting just in looks in particular because of who Monica is at this point in her life. It's shot in a very boxy ratio, uh, beautiful colors. I believe it's also on film, if I'm not mistaken. And it is a movie where I don't want to treat it as a spoiler. Both of these movies are about trans women. And because of that, there is an approach to both movies that if you're going into it thinking that it's supposed to be a twist, that Monica has transitioned and that's why her mother isn't fully embracing her, mm. you may see it as a plot point. I think there are sequences early on where it lets you know right away, yes, this is someone who was able to transition with money. <laughs> and thus, to a lot of people, it's a twist at the end. But I think you see it early on and thus you're able to follow the story of someone who's trying to fit in back home as their mother is passing, but their mother may choose to not embrace them. Paloma is not someone who has money. So Paloma doesn't have the money to do a very expensive transition and thus be able to pass the way Monica is. So you have two different perspectives in these movies, and that's why I think that they're a good double feature. In Paloma, she just wants to get married, but everybody in her very religious town, very conservative town, thinks it's sacrilegious to get Paloma engaged or uh, um, have the ceremony in any of the local churches. But that's her whole journey. That's all she wants to do. Uh, and in Monica, all she wants to do is be embraced by her mother. So they're really good character studies on both of these women. Um, I probably liked Monica just a little bit more um but I, I saw a lot of people rooting for paloma and if i'm not mistaken paloma i think won an audience award or it won some sort of hugo award uh but i would put both of these on your radar i would say like if these, these are movies that are playing at the landmark at the music box perfect junior prices matinees to catch very interesting and it's also one of those things that we talk about when we do this film festival coverage of how you end up seeing doubles of themes and ideas and mm -hmm. just echoes of one film and another when you see so many films concentrated like that. And, and being able to get like literally a similar story, but what happens when you're part of a rich family going home right. and when you don't have a family to go home to. So uh, yeah, really good, really good picks from the festival. Uh, and wrapping up my junior prizes here is winter boy. The story of a 17 year old who's father i want to say if you want to put it there i don't think it's that much of a spoiler just the beginning tragedy happens at the beginning and his whole life gets turned upside down and because of that he starts having new experiences new relationships and he wonders is this uh in backlash to my father who may have never approved is it 
my way of venting, my way of mourning. Uh, and we thought it was a pretty solid movie. Uh, his mom's played by Juliette Binoche. And you have some very, very, very good scenes with obviously one of the best French actresses out there uh, when it comes to a mother and son trying to grieve uh, the, the passing of, of a loved one. Um, but I really like the performance from the lead. And uh, I'm curious to see what he does more in the future because he's a pretty young kid. And I thought he was able to get into some really good pockets, um, especially when early on he's grieving uh, the passing of his father. Uh, it's a movie that's also done very handheld. It's very office-like because there's a, a narrative structure to the movie where there's, they're, they're leaving like a diary, but they're speaking kind of like the office to, to the <laughs> camera. And then the camera is capturing them. Like if he's having a nervous breakdown, when someone walks in, the camera will like zoom up, zoom in on the person who's like <laughs> cap capturing him. So it's like, it could be funny, but it's not really funny. It, it, it's effective in showing you this like fly on the wall uh, perspective on this family who's dealing uh, with the grief that they're going through. So I would add Winterboy, a French film from France. Getting into my top picks, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of submissions, starting with Plan 75. Ooh, this is Japan. Japan. Uh-huh. Japan has a movie out there as I close out some of these other tabs. Japan has a movie called Plan 75 where they have created this program where the moment you are 75 years old, you can join on your own admission. This thing where they will give you a thousand dollars, a place to stay, and then they'll kill you. They, they will uh, burn your body or they will bury you. Uh, you could even use the $1,000. They're so nice. The $1,000 that they give you for sacrificing your body uh, for the funeral expenses. And it is fictional. But the idea for this is actually played off of the intro, which I don't want to uh, spoil. But you do kind of need to know the inspiration for the intro in this movie because mm -hmm. she told it to us in the Q&A. And I thought it adds a lot of context that I personally wouldn't have had. The intro to this movie is a real event then the movie is fictional it's a fictional program where she is not trying to indict you know in switzerland it, i know i think they do this I, i'm blanking on the name for it but the assisted suicide yeah, it, assisted, you know yeah. um and the idea here is what would the approach be if the government had an incentive at what point does it not become a service and it becomes something that the government would want to push what part, at what point is the marketing a little too much? Is it abusive? Is it manipulative? And at what point do you forget that the people who you're bringing in can also manipulate or affect the workers who you have signing up for this? Uh, a very, very patient movie, very slow moving, <laughs> very effective. I thought it had some really interesting conversations towards the end of it of what would happen, uh, especially because a lot of the people who spoke were people who had family members who went to Switzerland for uh said procedure and um yeah uh, i could see it being a solid entry for japan and i'm curious to see how far it's able to make it in the shortlist plan yeah. 75 and we have to keep that one on the radar because japan is mm -hmm. one of those countries that tends to do decently well when it comes to the oscar submissions easily uh the next one that i have is a movie called noise or Rido. It is mm. from mexico if i am not mistaken and the director in this movie Natalia, her father is in this movie. Her brother is in this movie. The actress is her mother. It is a whole family affair in this. If you, this is coming to Netflix, by the way. If you remember last year, I had a movie called Prayers for the Stolen on my top list. If you remember the year prior to that, I had a movie called Non-Identifying Features on my list. Yeah. This is a spiritual trilogy. This is a movie about making as much noise as you can 
for all of these missing people in Mexico. Again, in the Q&A, someone had asked, I understand them taking the women, but why do they take the men? And it was this idea of like, you can comprehend human trafficking for sex, but not for cartels, uh, not mm -hmm. for organ doning, not for everything else that would require something that isn't sexualizing what would be a female body. And uh, yeah, this, it's a tough watch. It's a big drama about a mother whose daughter goes missing and she's searching for her daughter the entire time. The way that the movie is able to integrate itself with real people, I thought was so effective. It's like that Nomadland style where she's doing her own fiction film pretending to be a nomad and then randomly comes across people who are actual nomads and they do that, uh, what, what is it, the hybrid type of filming when you're actually with people who are searching for others. And uh, Teresa, who's in this movie, you may know her from a bunch of other films that are out there, The Marksman, Father Stu. I really liked her, in, again, the series Mo, where she plays the girlfriend. <laughs> she is in this movie as a journalist and she was actually supposed to be a lot older. She convinced the director slash writer to rewrite the entire role to make sure that she was in it because before Teresa was an actress, she was in Juarez doing a lot of these searches herself because of the mm -hmm. femicide that happens over there. So there, there is, and you can feel the, uh, the gravity of everyone involved and how serious they take this. So, right. uh, yeah, this is one of those dramas where as much as it is updating you on a scenario, right. And it's trying to let you know how bad it is. It's also very, uh, very effective at uh, the way that it follows these people and the idea that even though you may find the bodies that are alive, those people continue searching for others because there will always be someone missing. Uh, noise. Definitely put that one on your radar. I know it's very, not Mexico submission, but still yeah. a very profound film. Magnitude was asking whether or not Mexico submitted Noise or Bardo, but yeah, it is the new Iñárritu film that they decided to submit instead of this one. And the credits for this are eerie, bro. It's crazy because it's a chanting of the names of those who are missing. And I was like, whoa, crazy, mm. crazy, crazy stuff. Wow. Um, but yeah, moving up. I don't know if this next one is a submission, but it is titled No Bears. The new one by, the new one by Jafar Panahi, who has done several movies like this uh, ever since he got in trouble by the government, which I think is important mm -hmm. stuff. You don't need to know any of this. You can go in and it'll catch you up. But I think the more you know, the more you're like, ah, it's a very introspective movie. Yeah, he got in trouble by the government uh, in Iran, right? He's like yeah. not allowed to make movies. So he has made movies like this one that's called This is not a film because he's <laughs> not allowed to make a movie. Um, this is more of a doc. But this new one that he has, I thought was a documentary. And I come to find it's like a narrative version of maybe something that actually happened that is a little fictionalized, but it's played off like a documentary, but isn't a documentary because it's narrative. He is playing a director kind of himself who is living in this town uh, because he's not allowed to be in the big city. So he's living in this town with crappy Wi-Fi, trying to direct through a MacBook Skype <laughs> his actors in the city, something that he actually has to go through. So it's a really fascinating movie looking at it uh, for how he needs to approach his work. But then at the same time, he may have accidentally done something, taken a picture of someone he shouldn't have in this small town, and they start turning on him because he is the visitor there. Uh, I felt like a lot of this is him reckoning with his own stuff that he may have done. He may have gotten in trouble for the movies he's made, but what happened to the actors? Would the actors mm -hmm. not have also gotten in trouble? I feel this is him reckoning with a lot of that, his own guilt, uh, his own perspective of do you leave a place that is keeping you almost prisoner? But once you mm -hmm. leave the place, you know, have you left it behind? Are you gone? Um, it, 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 
it, it's shot like on T two eyes, bro. So I'm not going to say it's the most beautiful looking movie, um, right. but nonetheless, uh, it was a very interesting movie. And uh, again, it it's, feels like a hybrid movie because it feels like it's about a situation in his life that he's gone through that he then was able to get a bunch of people to come in. May still just be those regular people just playing a version of themselves. Right. Um, but no bears, put it on your radar because I could definitely see this getting a lot of indie love throughout the award season. Very cool. The next one that I have is a film that I think a lot of people were split on. It is super long, 133 minutes long, and it's called Return to Dust. It is following a couple who never were really able to get married off. So so after a while, they're like, screw it, just marry them together. (laughs) And slowly but surely, they're able to build a camaraderie. He doesn't really get along with anyone. She is way too old to have kids, kind of wets the bed can't really take care of herself but eventually they they do kind of like build a beautiful relationship but this is all happening with like this i don't want to call it a regime but the people who are using and abusing this whole town and specifically him like they are literally blood sweat and tears no lie using this man but he's supposed to be like this really good pick you up at your bootstrap subservient dude and like while you appreciate his hardworking labor and the love that he has for his partner I don't know. I can see why people think that this is a miserable movie that's kind of just like good worker, good employee, and that he's just being used the entire time. But again, I don't think that that should negate this like lonely farmer and his partner's love story that they have because a lot of people still do live these lives. Like just because they're being done wrong doesn't change that. Hey, this is a true story for a lot of people. Um, We were talking about the best donkeys in movies. The donkey in here damn near represents the man. And the scenes that they have with each other and the way he treats his donkey is really him talking to himself. Um, Top three 2022 donkeys. Yeah, well, we got, we got EO still my number one. You had yeah. Jenny from Banshees. You still need to see that. From Banshees, I still got to see that. And then I don't know the donkey's name in this one, but Return to Dust Donkey. Top three right there. So I'm curious to see how people receive this movie because not only is it a slow one, but it is also one where I, I understand people's frustrations with um, how they're being treated in this movie. Uh, but again, I think that the the relationship is really the, the forefront of this. Return to Dust. I believe that it is a Chinese film, but I could be mistaken. The Kings of the World, though, is Chiles? No, no, no. Colombia. I want to say it's Colombia's submission to the Oscars. It is in the top five highest rated out of the Chicago Fest. The director mm. of this, Laura Mora, already got picked up to do a Netflix adaptation to a hundred years of solitude. That is like mm. their book over there. Yeah. Yeah. This director's got it made already and <laughs> absolutely kills it here in terms of the cinematography, in terms of the performances and even picked up an award for production design in this movie where really they're like outside all the time. And when they're inside, it's like shacks, shelters, whorehouses, but it showcases the story of kids who have really no shelter in the world. It's a group of just teenagers who one of them has a deed to go back miles away to a plot of land that after his grandma has died has been passed down to him. And he promises his boys that as long as they get there, they'll finally have a place to be the kings of their own little world. And it's the whole journey to get there. Who makes it? Who doesn't? What is even awaiting them? Is all a part of the journey. Beautiful looking film. Uh, the production design it definitely deserves, but I was really surprised for this to not get some cinematography love. Uh, this is definitely top five of the most uh, best-looking films. Uh, I really like the young cast, and uh, I could definitely see this director doing a lot more, like I said, uh, and being able to pick up this really big script. I'm curious to see how she 
handles the dialogue there because I wouldn't say this is dialogue heavy. It's very much following the camaraderie between these boys and the places that they go to, the struggles that they have within themselves um, and just following their journey. So uh, that was a very solid movie. I, I did not come out loving it in my top five, but nonetheless, I see the potential uh, for everyone involved in this in what they have in the future. And I think nice. it's definitely going to get shortlisted for Colombia. The Kings of the World. Reminds me a lot of Monos, which I think oh, yeah. was another Colombian movie. So Makes sense. Uh, put that one on your radar. One of the ones I almost missed, and I was upset because one of y'all caught this at TIFF, and Caitlin really, really liked it, and I was like, oh, yeah. no, I won't be able to make it. I've missed it. I reached out. Shout out to the PR team. They sent us a link. Nice. Falcon Lake is a story of two teens during a summer. They grew up together. was never weird. And then, well, you know, <laughs> you kind of have a growth spurt. You kind of look a little different. Uh, you kind of have uh, different hormones and emotions that are happening. And it's just the dynamic on this one summer um, as they get a little bit closer. I mean, they share the same room still. You know, they didn't expect themselves to grow up so fast. And in this particular summer, they're also looking back at what is a ghost story that may be happening in Falcon Lake. And uh, I want to see this one again. This is one of those where you're just kind of in a trance in a state of just following a beautifully shot movie that, again, I did not get to catch in theaters. I got a screener. It's like Montana story, man. Nah, I need to kind of see this on the big screen right, to really right. do it justice. You know, sometimes we talk about this. A lot of people review screeners and I'm like, I got a good computer. But the screener link itself still isn't in 4K. Like, it's not yeah. in the quality that they shot it, and it would be projected in theaters. So I know that this could look even better. Um, Absolutely. But the way that it hits you at the end, now nah, I got to revisit the whole the whole movie. So hopefully the link <laughs> is still live. I'm going to send it your way. I'm curious to know your thoughts on it because I saw Caitlin gave it four stars, and I think I'm up there with it. Uh, I just I need to wrap my head around that ending again and, and play it back because it, it, it feels like it changes everything, but not really. Like, mm -hmm. if, you're almost overthinking it a bit. Um but it's a uh, again one of those movies where you're that summer crush feel. Yeah, it hits. It 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 bullseyes it. Falcon Lake. Awesome. It won too. They just didn't have any extra screenings, but it did win an award. <laughs> La Maternal, another one that was sent to us last minute, and damn, was this good, bro? At the age of fourteen, you got this little girl who it's just her and her mother, and she finds a way to be taken away from her mom, who may not have, you know, may not have everything down pat, but nonetheless is taken away, is living in this home where all of these women have had children out of wedlock, and she herself has also found herself pregnant. I don't know if you remember this movie called Gimme Shelter with Vanessa Hudgens. Uh came <laughs> out like damn near half a decade ago. Very yeah. similar scenario. It's like the American version of this movie. Okay. When you find like an even better filmmaker, damn does it strip down to the emotions because you have uh, again a 14-year-old girl not only giving birth but realizing everything that her mother went through and how she almost realizes that without her being there for her mother she was kind of the parent to her mom more than the mom was a parent to her. And she feels that guilt for not being there now that she's taken away. And just the way that she gets involved with everybody else who um, lives in the home, you see the different, you know, kind of upbringings. Um, I would say you put this one and Ailey's together and you're done with the box of tissues by the end of the night. <laughs> uh, very, very effective movie. The performances all around just really good. 
and uh, I don't know if this is a mission from anywhere, but it, but it should be because from the cast down to its script, down to its direction, I thought it fired in all cylinders. La Maternal, one of the ones that's definitely a tearjerker for sure. Very cool. Under the Fig Trees was the one that I told you that I preferred yeah. over Alcaraz, and this is the You're submission for Tunisia. Tunisia. Yeah. This one is raw, bro. So again, they all get picked up. They haven't seen each other in a while, and it's all of these different workers who just go pick figs. But it's mm -hmm. like a summer camp vibe where a lot of them haven't seen each other in a while. Some of them don't remember. Are they like still dating? They were kind of flirting. Some of them definitely don't want to be with each other. Some of them kind of like owe each other stuff. And I just thought the dynamics as they're out there trying to get as much as they can um, and not get in trouble by the boss, that they're also <laughs> rekindling these relationships. And I don't know, it, 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 it runs by really fast. It's only 92 minutes. We were seeing this one in between screenings and I was just invested the whole time on my iPad. Um, very beautifully shot movie and again, very engaging characters. This is my fruit picking movie of the year and uh, I'm rooting for Tunisia, man. I thought it was a really good movie. It doesn't do anything that's just like, damn, that was crazy, but you're just engaged the entire time and you're as you're following these relationships and it very effectively put together under the fig trees. Have it on your radar. Sounds delightful, that one. Mm-hmm. On the complete opposite side is Mediterranean Fever, which was pitched to us as Middle Eastern, Palestinian, Sopranos. Um, hmm. Kind of. I, I could see it a little bit, not too much. But you follow two dudes who end up being neighbors. One of them is, like, very depressed. Just, just, oh, so, like, almost pushes that boundary that I told you, where at a certain point you're following him too effectively it's like you're spending a day in his life and I don't want to spend a day with this man. But he finds a neighbor who's a little bit more aggressive. He's kind of found himself in trouble with uh, mob dealers and such. And they kind of hit it off because he has an ultimatum for this dude. So they have a very darkly comedic relationship with each other. Um, there's a lot of nuances to this movie, especially when it comes to his kid and a certain... Uh, Mediterranean fever that they think he may be diagnosed with and what that ends up being that I found to be uh, very well written um, and just the dynamics between the relationship and what it ends up building to that I saw a lot of people not liking the end result or what what they ended up leading to but I, I thought it was inevitable it was something that I thought it was heading to right from the beginning and uh, I like the script I like the performances and I like their dialogue in this movie uh, I found it to be darkly comedic in the best way possible and I would say definitely check it out um, if you wanted to add something new internationally to your radar. Again, this is a Palestinian movie. I don't know if this is their submission. I'm assuming it is unless there's something else. But I would root it for this one out of the movies that I've seen from over there. It uh, is the drama submission to the Oscars, yes. Oof. Well, I'm rooting for that one too. I thought it was very good. But then, Zach, there's another one I'm rooting for. Close is the new movie yeah. that is in theaters limited on the coast, I want to say. And we're starting to get some screenings rolled out over here. This is the last minute screening I was able to get to. It was so hot in that theater. But damn, have I been looking forward to this one since Khan. You follow two boys who are very close. So close, everyone makes fun of them at school. <laughs> so one of them decides, maybe we shouldn't be that close. What are the repercussions to that? When you ruin a friendship, when you distance yourself from someone who was ingrained with you just because of how you were looked at by other people who may not matter. It's such a slow movie that lets scenes breathe so well. But because it was so hot, it like doubled up the tension for us. It doubled up the drama. But this has to be some of the best performances um, from a duo of kids this year. I think the performances we've been getting from kids this year have just been incredible from After Sun. These two right here, uh, and there were some uh, some other ones in New York that I thought 
they, they just killed it. Pretty much everyone but your movie, A Son, has been killing it with the child performances. And uh, I, I hope that they're able to get some recognition. I know some of the indie awards are able to do um, up-and-comers. Uh, but for the character of Lucas, him for sure, I thought he killed it. Um, and it sneaks up on you. The next day when you wake up, the more you think about it, the more effective this movie is. Uh, just because of those little nuances in a, a young child's relationship. So close. It is worth all the hype that it's getting, and I definitely see this being one of the finalists when it comes to the international Oscars. One of the last-minute ones that really surprised me that we were able to get a link for was Return to Soul. We talked a little bit about yeah. this in New York, so I'll leave it there if you want to see our coverage there. But it's about a young woman who, because of a war, was adopted in France, raised with French parents, and decides to come back to Seoul beautiful movie dealing with cultures and different dialects and one that uh, I can't wait to catch again because it does a very effective job of um, just the approach uh, on communication and I think Zach's the one who told me that this is out of they speak Korean English and uh, French yet it's the submission for Cambodia was that yeah I think, it's I, I think you're right for some reason Hey, yeah, as is. long as it, as long as it's a submission, someone has a chance. Right. Sure, um, but I, I think it's because the decision is uh, obviously Korea's, and I'm sure France has like a dozen that they're submitting. So, yeah. and a lot of these foreign films go through weird like co-productions, co-financing things uh, on purpose as well. Nations. Yeah, like uh, one of the films we watched at Sundance earlier this year that we liked, which was like firmly set in Europe. You won't be alone. Is Australia's submission this year for some reason? So they threw you know. some money in post. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, yeah, you can you can hear more of our thoughts on Return to Soul from our New York Film Festival wrap up pod because we like this one quite a bit. I did, yeah, ended up being a lot higher than I thought. So that was very, very, very good. Um, the next that I have right here is Godland. This won the big award at Chicago. It was the second to last in person screening we saw, and this needs to be viewed in a theater. The whole thing is made to look like photographs that would have been taken during this 19th century uh, voyage that was done by a, a Danish priest and a group of Icelandic people who helped them. They have a lot of animosity towards each other. And because of that, this movie covers all of the that journey and bases, bases it off the photographs that were taken. So the whole thing looks like a, I don't want to call it a Polaroid, but an old-timey picture with its more boxy ratio. And it is stunning. Easily the best cinematography of the fest, maybe of the year. I like I, This is like up there with the Northman. I called this the Priestman. I hope that this gets international love. I hope it gets like... I don't know. I just hope that this gets on more people's radar and that it gets an actual uh, theatrical run because right. some of the scenes in here look beautiful. And the way it intertwines with this Danish priest and the themes in there, fantastic, dude. Um, it's long. It's a very long movie. Hour or 143 minutes. But I think it's worth it in every way, shape, or form. Um, a lot of scenes that we keep replaying in our head. And uh, yeah, one of the best movies out of the festival and rightfully deserved the award. Um, and yet, I still had two movies that I liked more than that. But before that, uh, there were some other ones, some last minute ones that I actually finished last night. So I did not get to put them in a specific list. Decision to Leave, we talked about in New York. We talked about it at uh, our wrap up from yesterday in October. Solid. It's good. Yeah. Probably would have made it towards the end of my top 10. Zach and I were kind of discussing that about where it would fit. If we knew more about the translations, would it fit even better? The more I watch this movie, the more I'm going to like it. Yeah. Um, a Piece of Sky is going to go hand in hand with this next one that I'm mentioning because it's one of those movies where you follow a relationship and everyone's not really rooting for them because they're kind of like an outsider and a, and someone who's from the town. 
and the relationship deteriorates not because of them but because he has a condition i think he gets hit and he starts losing his way of being and consciousness but also you know like when you get hit and you have a concussion like you start doing things you're not supposed to that could be out of pocket but you're not doing them maliciously and it starts wearing away at the relationship and it is just an 136 minutes of the relationship falling apart and no one's doing anything wrong ah very effective i can see it being draining for people but uh, that's that movie right there a piece of sky um and then one that i just literally finished this morning zach mm. chile submission chile 1976 hmm. titled 1976 in chile just a just a title so if it's hard to find i know on letterbox we had difficulty with it because it's only titled 1976 there but it, in america it's chile 1976 they were nice enough to send us this link as well chile submission about a woman who during one of their biggest like dictatorships over there realizes some conspiracies and stuff that's going on when she decides to renovate her beach house but the local priest asks her to help out with a guy who's hurt but this guy who's hurt maybe a little bit of a communist or maybe involved with communists and uh, that's definitely not helpful especially because she is a rich person and you can just imagine what allowed her to become this rich right. it's very fascinating to find out that this is a little bit based off of the grandmother of the director and uh well the grandmother has a very specific ending and it's how her life ended that she found very fascinating to look back on specifically on the year that her life ended which was 1976 and to her it's a look back at chile during this year but from the perspective of her mother she did not want to make a documentary or a you know like a drama about the corruptness that was happening she thought it would be fascinating to see it from the perspective of her grandmother during those times and beautifully shot movie killer freaking intro um and yeah i don't know where this would fall on my list but i it's the last last chicago movie that i saw and uh yeah another really great submission to add just beautiful submissions from chicago from uh around uh, the world, all international stuff that we may be seeing later on in the Oscars. But to wrap this up, Zach, I got two more movies here that I that I did see. My top two picks of the festival. Let's do it. One of them I think we'll be seeing in the Best Picture lineup. This next one uh, is not Spain submission, but damn it should have been. Mm. The Beast. This is RMN and what it thought it what it thought it should have been. <laughs> this is a story about a couple who decides to move into this small little village wants to rebuild this village so that it could be the best that it can be, but the villagers who live there don't see their visions and actually think that they've come in and have made things worse for them because there are some people who want to buy the land, but because these bozos have come in, they've kind of stopped it for the villagers. So there is a lot of animosity between these uh, people who were originally there and this guy who's come to make a new life for himself there. It is a very long movie, and it is so freaking good there is a performance in here by i want to say his it should be this guy right here luis this this man luis ahera i am calling this dude spanish charlotte copley because if they <laughs> ever make a reboot a remake to this movie uh, charlotte needs to play him he is my supporting actor of the year he kills wow. it in this movie he is incredible he makes you feel so many emotions you hate him you feel for him all of it uh there's so many parts of this movie um I don't want to spoil it in any way, shape, or form. That is a badass poster. It is uh, great performances, great soundtrack, perfectly shot. It's a movie that sticks with you, and I am surprised, surprised, surprised that this was in Spanish, uh, Spain submission. I don't know what Spain submission is. If you could pull it up for me, but uh, Alcaraz. Uh, 
No, 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 no. Uh, it should have been The Beast. Uh, or Asbestas, as it's called over there. Mm. Uh, very effective movie. I am curious, though, because I think... Uh, I, I've been sitting with this one more than Godland, but I can see Godland getting maybe a little higher and even less time with Return to Soul. So really, all my top five can be maneuvered around. But right. you know, no, this one really stuck with me. Um, it was fantastic. And yeah, this was one that had a, the, our whole row when it was done was just looking at each other like, what, no, maybe five more minutes. Just give us five more minutes. I want to see something. Um, <laughs> it just leaves you wanting more. So wow. uh, definitely put the beast on your radar. My number two movie as of now, definitely in my top five leading to my number one movie of the fest, and that is Women Talking. You guys Let's hyped it go. up out of TIFF. Uh, a lot of people have been anticipating this movie. It's got an all-star cast, and it has Jesse Buckley, who is the best supporting performance of the year. Performance. And Man, it's hard to choose from this cast. Yeah. Uh, she's the best in the cast. She's the best supporting performance of the year, in my opinion. You got another one? You let me know, Zach. You send me, you send me that movie my way, and I'll let you know. But she absolutely killed it. You know she's my girl. Um, yeah. And everybody in this just does a fantastic job. The only note I will say is that it is a, a movie that's a lot darker than I expected it to be. Not, mm-hmm. not in its themes. Like, actually visually really visually. dark. They talked about maybe shooting this in black and white, and I personally think that sounds raw. I think that would yeah. be really cool to see. Uh, but they chose this, like... Uh, you, Maybe got a Q&A with it and they discussed it for you. This, like, not sepia. It looks like the Clint Eastwood color palette, right? Like, it looks yeah. a lot like uh, like Changeling or Million Dollar Baby and Baby. how muted and dry the, uh-huh. the palette is. And it kind of makes sense to give a look into, like, you know, the the uh, um, like a highly religious community of women dealing with sexual assault to not give it, like, lots of bright colors and highly saturated uh looks but i i have seen a lot of people take issue with how it's colored personally it didn't bother me uh i thought it was an interesting choice but yeah i i there's def that's definitely the number one criticism i've seen of the film i don't mind it my only thing was because my the screen we watched it and wasn't as bright as it could have been so that's my only thing so i want to see it in a better screen um yeah just know everybody knocks it out it's beautifully shot uh, especially in its widescreen because most of the movie takes place in this barn where they're coming uh, up with this, uh, I don't want to call it a jury, but the meetings that they're hosting in terms of should they leave this place? Should they leave this town or should they not? Should they be able to start their own community? What are the pros and cons to that? And it's really, the, the title got it. It's women yeah. talking. That's really yeah. all it is. And the way that they're able to talk about the violence that has happened without showcasing it, but showing mm-hmm. you like the moments after, which yeah. makes it Ooh. even more like impacting, yeah, it's just great direction. It's care and attention to detail. Like I said, all of the performances knock it out of the park, but easily my favorite. It's it's going to be um, Buckley. I was surprised because you do have some performances that feel like cameos. Some people that are like in the trailers, but they don't really show up as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I hate to say it, yo, but the boy did good. Ben Wishaw is the embodiment yeah. of Paddington. It's like he lives and breathes that role, and they knew that nobody else was going to be able to voice the bear unless they actually walked and talked like him. He just... Yeah, he's adorable, and he's exactly the type of energy that the movie needs in those moments. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching this one again. See it in the brightest theater that you can see it in. And mm-hmm. uh, it's a movie that definitely uh, warrants discussion after the fact. And I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the book as well, because I know that there were some changes that were made from the book. So, uh, yeah, women talking. I, I'm glad to say it's at the top of the list. Uh, but all of the movies that I mentioned, from women talking to The Beast 
to all of these other submissions from Chile in 1976, A Piece of Sky. You already know about Decision to Leap, but Godland. Hopefully some of these movies that you're seeing on, on your screen right now are movies that you may have had on your radar or can now be on your radar, something to look forward to on VOD. Uh, because I love that now we don't have to wait that long for it to get like a mm-hmm. screening in New York and then wait for it to leak or something for it to be near you, mm-hmm. just being honest. Thanks to movie. Thanks to Criterion, thanks to a lot of these other film services, I think that these movies will be on the horizon a lot faster um, than in years prior. And I don't know, my our job here is to see as many of these as we can to put it on your radar. So even if it's not our must watch, it might be your next must watch movie of the year. Absolutely. And uh, that's why we love going to these festivals is to put a whole bunch of interesting stuff on our radar and then also subsequently on all of your radars as well so shouts to the inner cuties who've watched two hours of our coverage of films that probably none of y'all have seen like maybe maybe some of you got the decision to leave i can't imagine most of y'all have seen just about any of those other ones but obviously a lot of great picks and a lot of stuff that we'll probably talk about again as it gets closer to its release date or finally does get released because you know uh this is sort of like the purpose of the festivals is to build up that hype and get stuff on people's radar and uh then hopefully more and more people do get to see these awesome underlooked movie over overlooked movies um Mm -hmm. that we talk about um but i think that just brings us about to the end of our chicago film fest coverage Mm -hmm. another successful year of chicago that's very good. I mean, like I said, we pride ourselves on being able to make sure that you guys know what those international submissions are. And that's, like you said, the more regional ones, they do a really great job at uh, putting a lot of movies when they may not make it into theaters. Yeah. Um, so shouts to all of y'all who are, are keeping up with all this coverage. Uh, we will be back soon with more stuff on Intercut. Uh, but in the meantime, you can follow me throughout the week on social media, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich, the Z-S-H-E-V-I-C-H. And check out my YouTube and TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. Arturo, where can people find more from you? You can find me watching movies over at LME Explain on Twitter, on Letterboxd, on YouTube, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify, whatever is your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast, and then make sure you're subscribed not just to that audio feed, but to the video feed as well on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of our weekend must-watch streaming on the YouTube channel every monday at 3 p.m eastern and please leave us a comment like the videos consider heading over to itunes to give us that much requested five star review we always love when you do like our facebook instagram or twitter pages support the patreon why don't you all of them are available at intercut pod and those are the best ways to get updates throughout the week from art from me from all the guests that we feature here on intercut Thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, there's never been an American nominee for Best International Feature. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs>